Spanish bitch from uptown, I bought a bus down. <laughs> yeah, oh, then I keep Dame Choja to my San Loco. In the kitchen, whipping that dope up, you can smell a odor. Pug on pitching, we gon' hit it like we Sammy Sosa. Put that Billy to the limit, you can smell a odor. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy Jordan. And this is Desmond. And welcome to episode 199 of Two Black Nerds. Yeah. That's right. It's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and our takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment. As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support. And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Two Black Nerds. We appreciate that. Love y'all. And let's not forget to mention we have brand new merchandise that's available now at twoblacknerds.com. Go check out our Two Black Jedi and Sith collections inspired by Star Wars. We got t-shirts, crewnecks, hoodie stickers, mugs, and tote bags. So go ahead and place those orders right now. On today's show, we'll be reviewing the brand new DC feature film, Blue Beetle. We'll start by sharing our big picture thoughts about the film, and then we'll dive into spoilers to discuss the movie's major moments and characters, as well as the hero's future in the DC cinematic landscape. But before we get to any and all of that, we're kicking off this week's podcast with a special guest who's joining us to break down this movie today. We have Daniel Perez, who is one half of the Unqualified Heroes podcast, who's joining us today to talk about Blue Beetle. Danny, how you doing today, man? Oh, yeah, I'm doing great. Crowd goes wild. Woo! Uh, yeah, I, it's just a blast to be here. Thank you for having me on. Of course. Love that energy. Love the excitement. Uh, as you know, we we joined you a couple of months ago, which is kind of crazy to think we're already at the end of the summer. We, we first talked about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. That was a really fun podcast. Of course, I think it was a movie that we all really, really enjoyed. So it was a great time talking about that. So we definitely wanted to repay the favor. Have you come on today to talk about Blue Beetle? Uh, before we dive in and talk about the film, though, can you just kind of let the people know in case they don't what you do over at Unqualified Hero, some of the things you all talk about, where they can find you all that good stuff yeah so um as he alluded to before i am one half of unqualified heroes you can find us on at unqualified heroes on twitter instagram well i guess x now but instagram youtube spotify wherever you listen to your podcasts and yeah we just talk about marvel star wars superhero pop culture i mean i mean we talk about it all kind of kind of like you guys and we're just we're just big nerds like you guys amazing love to hear that love to see that and you guys are talking about ahsoka right now as well the, the new series on disney plus and so oh, yeah would definitely encourage people if you are watching that new star wars series to go check out their coverage and all their other previous episodes but let's go ahead and dive in today and get into blue beetle which is the reason why we are here so this is a really interesting film in the DC landscape. This is the third of four feature films that DC is dropping this year. We already got Shazam Fury of the Gods back in March. We just recently got The Flash at the top of the summer. Now comes Blue Beetle before we finally get Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, presumably in December. We'll see if that actually holds or not due to the Hollywood strikes, but we'll have to see. But DC is a very is, is in a very interesting space right now. We 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 of course all know about the transition that is upon us with James Gunn and Peter Safran taking over the universe and, of course, rebooting pretty much everything that we know about the DC characters and kind of starting their own story. But Blue Beetle as a movie is is in a weird sort of in-between space because James Gunn has said many things about this movie as to whether or not it's going to be connected to his future DCU plans. He says that Blue Beetle is the first DCU character, but it's not technically a DCU film. Not really sure what that means at this point. But this movie was actually greenlit a few years ago under the Walter Hamada administration. And I remember at that time, 
Walter Hamada when he was running DC. He talked about creating other films that perceivably were a little bit more risky was I think the, the the terminology that he used for for smaller lesser known characters and he sort of equated that to characters like Blue Beetle Batgirl which we know ultimately got canceled which is you know still unfortunate to think about and this movie was also initially slated for HBO Max will now call Max mm-hmm. instead they decided to go ahead and give it a theatrical release put a little bit more money behind it give it a I think a proper rollout so Des, let's actually start with you. You know, why do you think that Blue Pe- Beetle was a character that they wanted to explore? I think just considering that it did start off as a as a streaming only property before they ultimately decided to give it a full theatrical release. You know, I think similar in some in some ways to the MCU, where the MCU had kind of, I think, run the gambit of a lot of the popular, not only popular, but white characters that had been going on at the time. Right. I mean, Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, we had all seen enough of them. And I think DC was starting to run into the same thing. We had seen the Batmans. We had seen the Wonder Womans. We had seen uh, uh, the, the, the Supermans. And now it's time to start bringing out the characters. At least that's close enough that people might know who they are. And I say that because Blue Beetle has been part of so many other things i think in recent pop culture and so many animated dc movies i'm pretty sure he was in like teen titans judas contract pretty sure he was in like apocalypse war so many other of those and i remember even blue beetle was also in um injustice too i remember as an unplayable character so i think people who uh, enjoy dc outside of the realm of film as well at least might have heard something about jaime reyes as blue beetle um even talking about as much as you know i love young justice <laughs> but he also exists in that realm as well so i think it was just it once you start looking out of the realm of your normal characters it's like okay who's up next and i think jaime reyes as blue beetle was just one of those ones that made sense um for dc at the time it felt like that they also, I think, to add on to that point, they they kind of realized that they had to really diversify the portfolio of characters that they were going to that they were going to create films and stories around. I think a lot of the criticism that people had been sort of, le- you know, sort of leveraging against DC was the fact that they just constantly leaned on the Trinity, Wonder Woman, Batman, mm-hmm. Superman. And we had just got we, we got into a point where it's like, OK, we've seen enough of them. What other characters do you have? But I think also simultaneously, we've reached a really interesting point where they have now reached that place where they are giving, you know, more characters, more films and more opportunities to sort of come to the forefront. But it doesn't necessarily seem like the audience is there for that. But we'll get to that in a second. Um, Danny, what I want to ask you is, you know, what what, if any, you know, was your relationship to the Blue Beetle character before this film came out? Did you have any sort of extensive knowledge about the character? Had you seen any of those animated films or played him as a character in any game? You know, what what was your you know sort of level of familiar familiarity with it with the character of Blue Beetle? Yeah, so I wasn't like the most familiar with Blue Beetle as I have some other friends who like that's actually their favorite DC character. Um, however, I did ha- I played Injustice too, so he was he he was a playable character there, like Des had said. I played him there, and in Young Justice, I I was a big fan of Young Justice and the original Justice League show. Uh, he was well, he wasn't in that one. He was in Young Justice, and. Um, for those who watch Smallville, big throwback. I love Smallville, but he was technically in there, even though that's a, <laughs> a different version of Blue Beetle. But he was mm-hmm. technically in Smallville, and uh, so that I did have like a vague um, knowledge of Blue Beetle, but it it wasn't to the degree of like him having his own spotlight like he did here. 
Yeah, very, very similar for me. New of the character, I think really in the past 10 years, DC as a company has done a really, a really great job at providing more exposure to, to the Blue Beetle character. Where I first really remember him sort of coming to the forefront of my mind was the Justice League Unlimited series, where they focused mm -hmm. on a lot of those supporting players within the Justice League. I mean, there were like a hundred heroes in that in that show that they would just constantly like shift episodes and focal points towards and i remember him being a, a part of that show and then of course like all the things you all mentioned young justice the injustice 2 video game that kind of really made me become more keenly aware of blue beetle and just also the fact that there are numerous interpretations of of, of blue beetle it's not just mm -hmm. one person there are three or four different iterations of that character and Jaime Reyes is actually the, the third iteration of that character which this movie focuses on so I thought it was an interesting choice to kind of you know lean into one of the lesser known properties but I did like the idea that DC was starting to really just kind of go deeper into the bag and say like well what else is here what other type of stories can we tell that we're not really giving ourselves you know the opportunity or that we have given ourselves the opportunity to tell in the past I, I do wonder if maybe it was too little, too late, perhaps, you know, hindsight being 2020, but that is another conversation we'll we'll explore here in a second. I want to talk about the box office of this movie, because as I mentioned at the top, this is the third of four feature films coming out from D.C. this year. And it's been a really, really, really rough stretch for D.C. lately when it comes to the, the theatrical box office. And right now with Blue Beetle, its first domestic opening weekend brought in twenty five million dollars which represents the second lowest DC opening thus far. It's only it's only ahead of Wonder Woman 84, which opened to 16.7 million. But we can't forget that that movie opened in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. So it already has an asterisk next, next to it. When you look at some of the other films that have recently come out, The Flash opened to $55 million, which again, sort of underperformed against industry expectations. Same with Shazam Fury of the Gods had a $30 million opening and Black Adam last year with $67 million on its opening weekend, which did represent the highest of Dwayne Johnson's career, but that movie kind of tapered off after the second and third weekend. So there's been a really, really rough patch with these movies, and I think on an even larger scale with superhero movies entirely. We've been kind of having this conversation. I know we've talked about it on Two Black Nerds. I'm sure you all have talked about it on Unqualified Heroes, and I recently read an article from The Hollywood Reporter by Richard Newby where it was titled, Where Have All the DC Fans Gone? Because this is not a new trend where a movie comes out and underperforms. He posited that maybe it's because DC has always had a particular strength with filmmakers and, and, and letting their visions really kind of drive the strategy and the marketing of their movies. And that's how they really build mm -hmm. fandoms. When you go back to Richard Donner with Superman, Tim Burton mm -hmm. with Batman, Zack Snyder, Chris Nolan, they have a long history of filmmaker driven projects. Whereas the pieces of connectivity haven't necessarily worked as well for them. Like the MCU is just extraordinarily done for so long. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I don't know how many people are necessarily paying to the, to the filmmakers behind some of these projects, but I'm sure that that is at least somewhat of a factor, but Danny, I kind of want to ask you, you know, what, what are your thoughts just about the fact that this movie once again sort of underperformed against industry expectations, but it's just the latest in a long line of films that have come out that nobody really takes the time out to go see? Well, my gosh, there's so many different like elements to this big picture. Uh, as far as Blue Beetle specifically, honestly, I think it's quite sad because I think this movie was pretty good um, and even had in some sense, a groundbreaking uh, element to it being a, like a Latino uh, led movie. 
And mm -hmm. that's not something that we've really, really gotten, you know, with diversity and a lot of characters are, are white. So uh, I that part, I think is pretty sad, but with so many things going on, one, I think um, people are just waiting for James Gunn's DC and they're like, eh, I don't even care. Why even watch these DC movies? I might as well just wait for James Gunn's DC. Two, there's like the whole strike thing going on. So uh, there's less promotion for it and all these like oh maybe do i support the actors and do i do this it's like some people don't even know what to do then there's uh the whole question of superhero fatigue is there superhero fatigue uh that's another thing um and then it's like i, I just think with dc they they've had this trend of like not good movies that now that there's like this character of blue beetle who most people don't know of as well as Superman and Wonder Woman, Batman, that it's like, oh, well, if this character that I love, like the Flash is so bad, how could a character that's like not even all that, even like, how could that movie be so great? Like I'm not, it, word of mouth is a big thing. And mm -hmm. word of mouth for this movie, it wasn't, wasn't really there. So there's just so many I mean, and that's just like the tip of the iceberg. There's so many different elements that goes into these superhero films that's like, because we, originally the question was like, is just movies, are movies dying? And and to me that I was, I was genuinely thinking that. I was like, maybe it's not just superheroes. Like I, I don't really remember like this big box office movie lately, but then we got Avatar 2. Then Barbie came out as like making a crap ton of money. Uh, Oppenheimer technically didn't make as much money as Barbie, but like there was a lot of word of mouth for it. A lot of people went to go see it. So it's like, okay, it's it's really, it's not the the death of movies because maybe it was a streaming service, but then it's like these big movies came out and it's like, okay, it's not that. It's like, there's other factors that people have to look into. The industry has to look into it and real understand like what's actually going on as to why people are not going out to see these dc marvel films as we they used to in the past uh yeah i think i think by and large for sure that movies in general don't play as important of a role as they used to in pop culture mm -hmm. just because there are so many other things that people can invest their time into when you have TikTok and video games and Instagram. And th there's just so many other options out there. I don't think movies are as important, but we do see exceptions when studios craft experiences that people feel like they have to be a part of, like the Barbenheimer phenomenon, which is, you know, still steamrolling over all the competition. Um, Des, from, from a DC standpoint specifically, this is the latest entry in a long line of films that have underperformed. I think we talked yeah. about this with The Flash, that this is not new information. I know we we mm -hmm. constantly revisit this conversation and the headlines always come out like, lowest DC opening ever, but fans have <laughs> have, have kind of abandoned DC years ago. I, I think really with the, with the exception of these really, you know, strong filmmaker led projects like the Batman from Matt Reeves or mm -hmm. Joker from Todd Field. Unless we're talking about these platinum characters that that are always going to sort of persevere and permeate pop culture when they try to explore some of these lesser known characters that haven't necessarily had the opportunity to be at the forefront. It just hasn't worked. So, you know, what what do you ultimately, you know, sort of attribute to that? Do you think it's just the the nature of where DC is? Are people waiting for James Gunn and what they have in store? Or mm -hmm. are people just overall kind of just over, you know, what, what superhero movies have to offer in this day and age? Man, it still really is any and everything. It's all of the above. Everything we're all saying 
is true. I have to I have to also think that we expected. Well, we didn't. We, I don't say I can't say I expected. But when you first hear that a Blue Beetle movie is coming out as somebody who's supposed to be Mexican-American, you would hope <laughs> that this would feel to other Mexican-Americans as Black as, as Black Panther filled to other African-Americans. Right. But there is a difference in the energy. Energy is so important, especially when it comes with these superhero movies. And I think when you look at the energy surrounding Blue Beetle and everything leading up to it, everything we're talking about, every weird DCU, DCEU ending, starting thing happening, slash Black Adam isn't that good, slash these last couple of DC movies just haven't been that good. The energy has not been there. They haven't done the groundwork with their more known characters to say man we might have something with this lesser known character over here they simply haven't done it as 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 again i'm kind of making this comparison it is a very broad <laughs> generalization but when black panther comes out phase three of the mcu is cracking you telling me homecoming is out ragnarok is out it's just a lot going on at that time and then you telling me that you're going to put that in the middle black panther in the middle of all of that absolutely i just have a feeling if blue beetle had been backed by some of that same energy, we'd be having a different conversation. But DC has not stepped up to the plate uh, uh, right now, as we can see. It has not um, really been in their favor. And what I, I, it's it's interesting because I say all these things are right, and there is a very interesting point that a lot of the good DC films are tied to like these big filmmakers, right? You could argue Zack Snyder was said, should have been one of those people, and it didn't work out. But <laughs> you know, you can be like, ah, it didn't necessarily work out, but could also argue why why is it every project that's not a part of your main core story of the DCEU is backed by those big filmmakers you know what i'm saying why isn't matt reeves making a batman movie within the DCU why isn't todd phillips joker being in the DCU why isn't a high caliber christopher nolan esque type person helping shepherd your movies within the DCU and making it what it is a tim burton you know why isn't that a thing if you see all those movies succeeding on the outside why don't you bring that idea inside it doesn't really make any sense at the end of all of it you know what i'm saying and so i don't know i feel like there's a lot of things uh uh again everything we've said is is, is just it's, it's weird man and they they got some some working out to do but man a, a lot of it is it's that energy that that dc is putting out right now and they it, it hasn't been there if you if you tell me one is bad, one movie is bad, and two movie is bad. Why should I get up to have to go see the third movie? If you <laughs> there's no trust anymore. And so of course people didn't show up to see the film. This is how it is. Yeah, I, I would I would love to get like some focus groups about you know what 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 exactly is happening here. Um that's to that point you just made about the filmmaker driven projects. I, I think it's interesting that it feels like that that's what they were first going after when Zack Snyder mm -hmm. was kind of like coming in at the beginning, early yep. stages, Man, Man of Steel, Batman v Superman. But because of all these regime changes at the company mm -hmm. itself, I don't think that there's ever been one true vision until really now where we're getting with James Gunn and Peter Safran, because even Walter Hamada, again, this movie was greenlit under his administration at that particular time. We've talked about it so many numerous times across the podcast where it just kind of felt like the DC was trying to be all things to all people. They had seven different connective universes. They had three Jokers and six Batman. And you just didn't necessarily know like what the end goal was, if there was any to begin with. And it kind of just felt like they were just throwing anything to see where it could stick towards the wall. And I think in addition to that, that kind of led to a, a bit of a, a smaller focus on filmmaker driven projects from, from that standpoint. And, and Danny earlier, you talked about the strike. I mean, 
it's really, really unfortunate for Zolo Maraduena, you know, as the star coming in here mm-hmm. to, to have like this first big breakout role. Of course, he's on Cobra Kai, which he's he's really good on. But this is like his first huge feature film in America and and him not having that opportunity to properly promote the movie, along with the rest of the cast as well. That That is a crutch that, that will ultimately hinder, I think, the performance of any movie when your stars can't actively be out to promote it. And that's not their fault. That That is on the part of the studios like the studio should be doing everything in their power to allow the filmmakers and the actors and all of the people are part of the crew to be able to promote these things. But we're seeing the effects of that as well, along with all the other stuff that's been mentioned. But I want to pull back even more on this conversation. We've talked about DC superhero movies in general, because Marvel is struggling as well. We, we are not going to leave them out of this conversation. (laughs) They, they are Mm -hmm. not, they are not clean in this, in, in, in this at all. There have been exceptions. Guardians of the galaxy, volume three, very successful movie even across the Spider-Verse, hugely successful, yeah. overperformed on that front from Sony and Marvel. But they have had some missteps as well with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Critically, they've also had some missteps. They have seen the box office somewhat decrease uh, over, over the course of some of their recent films. And so we we, we talk about this idea of superhero fatigue, and, and, and I don't know if I buy into that in general. Again, I think that there's a, a bigger conversation with movie going a, as a whole, but are we just at the point where superhero movies as a genre quote unquote are not at the forefront of the box office as as much as they used to be because for Mm -hmm. about 15 years there they were untouchable you could pretty much put out anything and branded marvel or dc and it was like guaranteed to make a lot of money for you like (laughs) five six seven hundred million dollars a bill like at one time marvel was just putting out film after film easy billion dollars that's not the case anymore And I think that we're still going to see successful movies. I still think many of them will probably make good money. But are we just at the point where they're not at the forefront of the conversation? And and if and if we have reached that point, is there something else? Is there another genre? Is there another trend that could perhaps come in and fill that void? Danny, what what, what do you sort of think about that? And just like the, the 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 sort of place that superhero films occupy, at least in terms of the box office? Ah, that's a good question. I, I think there's multiple layers to this this onion we're peeling back. Uh, The first thing is um, we live in a very impatient world. And if if we think about phase one, I don't think phase one really made all that much money and probably even phase two of Marvel. It it was like the, the hype was still there, but like it really started making money come phase three and like the end of phase two. when when we had Avengers two is like that, that's when it really started making a bunch of money. Um, So I, I think, one is just people it's hard to go back down to ground zero and kind of like reset and phase four is like this reset of like a new saga and so people are like resetting it's hard to do that because now and and then you got the addition of the disney plus shows it's like okay now i gotta watch this to watch that to watch this and it's like i gotta do all this and it's hard for the casual viewer to to go enjoy a certain film when they have to watch so many predecessing movies and uh is along with with the the cgi issues i mean marvel has had serious cgi issues i mean the the whole point of some not the whole point but some of the point of this strike is oh the overwork the the like not enough too many hours not enough time to Mm -hmm. to get things done i mean you you've heard stories about people are like I've literally, I'm literally working on this film until two hours before it releases. Like, I'm just, it's just like, bro, <laughs> you, you can't be doing that. This, right. this is not good for, for like 
mental health or any, anything like what? like is he talking about like last minute that's last last minute and so i think that's one issue and and then you got the other issue where it's just like back then when i say back then it's not too long but like last decade the superhero films were kind of like this generational thing that we grew up with and nothing that really was there before the last decade i mean iron man came 2008 so very late in the two in the early 2000s and then going into the 2010s so it's like we didn't really have a ton like not like a universe of superhero films until then and then now we have geez how many probably like 50 50 projects with marvel and dc combined Mm -hmm. um that it's like some people kind of just want something new something fresh and and i'm sure we'll talk about it when when we get to to the blue beetle topic specifically but a lot of these films are kind of like overlapping each other in in like script in a sense so it's like i'm watching the same thing i'm not getting something fresh to a degree that i just want something new barbie was fresh oppenheimer was fresh uh it's just like i want something new and i think a lot of people are are having that sense of feeling yeah i think i think you hit the nail on the head there there, there was also just that story about one of the VFX workers who worked on WandaVision and he quit after eight days. And he talked about how they just Mm -hmm. expected him to work 16, 17 hour days and he was getting paid crap money. And he was like, I'm not fucking doing this. Like, there's no way I'm going to walk away. And and now we see like the Walt Disney company, all of their in-house VFX workers are voting to unionize because of how pervasive a problem it it has become. Um, Des, what do you you think about this? Just, you know, superhero movies sort of being at the forefront of the box office. Is that era Mm -hmm. over? And if so, you know, what, what what would you say is kind of the era that we exist in now? Because I do think that movies will still come out and make money. Like we still have examples, sure. Guardians 3, Across the Spider-Verse, very successful films, the Batman from last year. So they're not dead. That That's mm-hmm. it's not even close. But if they're not at the apex and at the forefront of the box office, then then do they just occupy second place, third place? What, what What's the relationship between this genre and potentially other genres that can come in and fill that void? Man, you know, I think. Of, we'll see over the next couple of years. I think we'll be telling of what happens because I, I really do think it's in the it's in the hands of the studios making superhero movies and what they make it. The reason that Guardians and Across the Spider Verse is so good, it's like oh, they're superhero movies, but there's so much shit in there we've never seen before that make them good movies. <laughs> and to Daniel's point, there's so much DNA being interwoven between a lot of these uh, other superhero films. You're like, dang, I feel like I just kind of seen that thing and you know to your point jordan that's what makes it more mid fatigue than anything bob uh, oppenheimer and barbie are what they are because we've never seen movies like them before that's why they are what they are and i think we're just caught up in a weird superhero genre right now where we feel like i don't know where i guess the the studios feel like we have to include some of that dna on the safe side you know what i mean of like oh we can't do anything too crazy but what's interesting is that's how comics work all of we know good comic runs and we know nothing about the comic runs in between you know about batman the long halloween you know about all these there's so many bad comic runs in between because they're probably doing some of the same boring shit that some of these movies are doing in real time (laughs) we're just seeing it on a movie level comics go through this exact same thing man and i think it's just a it, it really does take one a reality check it but it also takes risk it also takes figuring out what people want to see and i think when what we what we are also seeing in real time is when you take risks uh it it most of the time 
So as as of right now, most of the time, it's been pretty successful, right? When you, when people take those risks, and again, Across the Spider Verse is nuts. <laughs> that movie is crazy. There's so many things in there that have never been done before. There's a lot in Guardians that James Gunn was doing that had actually never been done before. It's very stylish, you know what I mean? And so I think as moviegoers, as people who do like superhero content. I think they're we're looking for some of those things, some of those risks to be taken. Because now, what is kind of not necessarily taking the spot, but what what does feel like it's on the come up, right? Is some of those video game things, some of those proper video games and toys are kind of going crazy right now. Last of Us feels really good. Gran Turismo just came out. You know what I'm saying? There's a TV show about uh uh black uh twisted metal right now. You know, there's a lot. Of, happening in the video game genre in uh, I guess now the toy genre with, with Barbie and some other upcoming projects but it just feels like they they're 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 taking risk on those projects as well they're not just being like mm, let's take some superhero DNA and ingest it with something else they're like no this is new you've never seen this before and that's what's keeping the ball rolling in some of those other uh types of films so I really think it's really on the filmmakers of of these studios that determines if superhero films are going to go to the second and third spot when it comes to type of movies that 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 would be successful at the box office but if they stay in the same thing they're doing right now not taking enough risks or again sometimes you go overboard i think quantumania was a big ass swing don't get me wrong <laughs> quantumania was a swing for the fences let me tell you it's not always going to work but you can't be afraid when it doesn't work you know what i mean and i think that that's what I'm afraid of. That's what I'm that's why in my mind I'm like, mm, they might have to go to the second or third spot. I in my right mind can't see Marvel going, that was a swing. Let's go back into our old ways. Secret invasion. I'm just kidding. No, but <laughs> it, I, I really but I, that's just what I think is gonna happen. And so uh I'm I'm hoping they don't do that. I'm hoping people keep uh uh again trying to make tasteful content. With with taking risks, because I think that's what's going to take for that superhero genre to stay number one. And if not, they're going to get booted by, by some of these other fresher projects coming out. DC has also historically been a victim to that of putting out riskier projects, riskier takes on characters. Mm -hmm. Fans reject it or it becomes polarizing and then they become gun shy and all of a sudden revert back yep. to previous ways or they try to adapt to a, a formula that's that's successful elsewhere, like the MCU. And, and then we just see that. Now it just doesn't work because you're obviously leaning towards something that isn't necessarily your strong suit. But I think the superhero film genre has just fallen into the trap that every other media form has fallen into over the past 10 years. And that's oversaturation. That's really mm -hmm. what it is. Like you look at anything literally that we experience now, we are inundated with endless amounts of things all the time in every form of media, music, video games, TV, film, social media, whatever you want to say, there is countless amounts of information and opportunities available for you to dive into that stuff. And at a certain point, everybody's going to say, okay, I'm not choosing that, but I'll choose this. I'm going to stay away from that, but I'll go towards this. You have to make choices because there's no way that any one person can consume everything that's available. And now superhero movies are just a reflection of that. Once we got the boom with the MCU and things became really successful, Danny, to like what you said, phase three was really them hitting their stride and hitting a stride that we have not necessarily seen out of any other franchise in Hollywood history. And then Avengers Endgame happens and the MCU effectively is over. Like it ends. That That's really the, the culmination of everything that we have been wanting and waiting for. And then you have to reset, which they kind of do, but then they kind of don't. They, they, they more so 
say let's expand and let's grow and they green light 35 tv shows and 75 (laughs) more movies and now all of a sudden it's like well this is a little bit more than i was asking for now i have to like keep up with this on a 52 week a year basis and i think that that just becomes way too much for people on top of the dc stuff on top Mm -hmm. of the stuff that we get from sony there's still tv shows there's animation people still read comic books video games at a certain point you have to make choices and when you get a movie that isn't necessarily breaking any new ground perhaps like a blue beetle i think a lot less people are just going to choose that and they're going to lean towards those experiences that feel groundbreaking that feel fresh and feel new to what we've been saying this entire time like a Mm -hmm. spider-verse like the batman like guardians of the galaxy those things often feel fresh and different and don't necessarily resemble other things that we're getting but when i get another origin story out there in the landscape it's like okay, we've been doing the same formula for about 25 years now. Do we have to do this once more? Like, do we mm-hmm. really need another formula uh, of a superhero origin story? I, th- I think that's where we are. They've just also reached where where every other form of media, you know, has, has, has kind of, you know, sort of fallen into. Like, there's no way you watch everything on Netflix anymore. Like, at one point, Netflix had two shows. It was House of Cards and Orange <laughs> is the New Black. Yep, now Netflix has hundreds of shows. And, and you can't. You probably can't name 10 that's on the air right now. You know what I'm saying? So I think I think that that's just kind of like the the nature of the business, because once something becomes super successful, they are going to milk. They're they're going to milk it for everything it's worth. You know, they're they're, they're going to try to mine that IP for for all of its value and and, and really kind of just inundate us with 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 everything that they have to offer. So I think that's where we are right now. And ultimately, who knows what what the future holds with James Gunn's DCU? We'll have to sit by and, and see. Perhaps because it is Superman, that'll be a character that perseveres and 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 you know sort of restores them to former glory. But we'll have to sit by and wait. But with all of that out the way, let's dive into this movie. Let's actually go ahead and review the brand new feature film from DC, Blue Beetle. Excuse me, Mr. Reyes. You finished scraping the gum off that lounger or what? Ah. Uh. Everything right now feels so out of reach. You always land on your feet, bro. You're hymen. They don't get out much. <laughs> I just want to rap. Jenny? I just want to rap. Guard, I have no life. But do not open it. You went in to get a shops, and all you brought back was a hamburger? Okay, I don't think it's a burger. You haven't looked? What the hell is that? How did you get it to do that? I think he likes me. It's on your face! Get it off! Get it off! This ain't what you want. 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 What the? Host acquired. Who said that? Okay, it's gonna be okay! Free entry systems ready. Wait, 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 no, no! This ain't what you want. This ain't what you want. This ain't what you want. What is going on? I just want to rock. It's called the Scarab. It's some kind of world-destroying weapon. It's designed to protect its host. This ain't what you want. Sometimes it does what you want, and sometimes it doesn't. I, I think I cut a bus in half. The scarab chose you, but it belongs to me. 
feel for your family makes you weak. I just wanna rock. The universe has sent you a gift, and you have to figure out what you're gonna do with it. Whatever you can imagine, I can create. Let's party. Nice choice. I just wanna rock. It's like Batman stuff. Batman's a fascist. I just wanna rap. Now, this movie is directed by Angel Manuel Soto, and it's written by Gareth Dunnett Alcacer, and it's starring Jolo Meraduena, Adriana Barraza, Damian Alcazar, Raul Max Trujillo, Susan Sarandon, and George Lopez. So, as usual, what we like to do with the Marvel and DC projects when we explicitly and, and, and exclusively focus on the movie, we'll dive into spoilers and do a character-by-character breakdown and also talk about some of the other big elements and moments of the movie. But before we get into all of that stuff, in case you have not seen Blue Beetle yet, we will start off with our non-spoiler thoughts. And Danny, I'm, I'm going to pass it over to you since you are our guest today. I just want to get your you know, sort of big picture general thoughts. How, how did you feel about this brand new DC feature film, Blue Beetle? So going into this, I had the lowest of expectations because while Blue Beetle is this great character, we've just had this trend with DC, even a trend with Marvel, where movies have just not been the greatest hit lately. So I had very low expectations. But when I walked out of the theater, I was actually, I was happy. I was like, I enjoyed that movie. Was it this phenomenal movie that's going to break the universe? No, but like it was a good movie. It was enjoyable. I laughed a lot. I thought it was very funny. Does it have similar DNA to other films? Yes, but uh, the Latin twist that they put on it and, and just technically a new character that we haven't seen on the big screen still felt somewhat fresh to me. So overall, I very much enjoyed the movie. Did it have its issues? It did, but it was still a good film. Absolutely. Des, how did you feel about Blue Beetle? What what were your thoughts after you left the movie theater? Yeah, man, I uh, I have been accustomed now to to liking Jaime Reyes, man, over all the things, you know, I kind of said that uh, uh, where I found him or where he's been in recent years. So I was a little excited, uh, again, just to see the character be portrayed on the big screen, period. One of the first Latin characters to ever get the title, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And to, to lead a film. So I was excited um, to go see it. And, and, and I'm pretty echo with pretty much echo what Danny said here in terms of there's a, there's a lot of DNA of other origin films we see in this movie. It's like iron spider and lava girl. I don't know what's called. No. <laughs> uh, it, it really does have a lot of those, those elements you felt before. And uh, it's a lot of bittersweetness coming out of the film for me, man. There's times where this movie, feels like it could have been on the CW or it feels like it was on Nickelodeon. And then the next second in the movie is like, wait a second, that was a really good action scene. Where the hell did this come from? I just, to be honest, I don't know what was happening in this. It's like, you can very much tell where the budget was in this movie. I think at a lot of certain points, because it's, it's just really, it, it was very tonally off. Sometimes it was very, it was a roller coaster of tones happening through the film. But what I will give this movie, what I do like about it, is the family aspect behind the film um, that we'll talk about more in depth. It really did add, a di I think, a different dynamic to the movie. It kind of feels like what we got a little bit out of Miss Marvel, which is kind of, it, it's it's so different from a lot of the other films we get. Again, and the a lot of our, our main characters out of the MCU and DC, 
everybody got daddy issues. Nobody has a family. Everybody, you know what I'm saying? But here, Blue Beetle is about family <laughs> and about the family that uh, uh, Jaime does have surrounding him and what and how they tackle the issues of this movie together. And I think when it focuses on that, that's when this movie is really good, where it doesn't work for me as well as the weird tonal budget thing going on. It's kind of the villain part of it. I wasn't really feeling the whole villain thing. Part of it is the script. I think uh, uh, there's some weird stuff with Susan Sarandon that (laughs) was like, I don't, is this a soap opera? I don't know. I just didn't feel, I I was not in it 100% with the villains. I was like, that was a kind of a whack line. That was kind of lame. Why did you say that? That's when the movie really (laughs) didn't work for me. But again, on the flip side, man, it really is about the family. It really is about Abuela. It really is about Rudy. It really is about all the problems that I think uh, uh, they kind of point at that Latin Americans might face in today's world. And that's when the the film succeeds for me. So it's a fine film. It's not without its flaws, but I I will say I did uh, uh, somewhat... Uh, at least enjoy the film while I was in the theater, man. I was I was a little bit surprised. Yeah, so I can't necessarily say that that I have all that much different uh, compared to to what you both have already said about the movie. I think coming into Blue Beetle, my expectations were nowhere near high at all, and and that's just also sort of an effect of of the DC feature films that we've gotten over the past few years. Nothing has really made me feel any type of way, unless it's the Batman, you know, or or or, or Joker, you know, something that's just unrelated to these other characters. And and so coming into this one, I was just really looking for a decent adventure, the family aspect, of course, because they had teased that in the marketing that that was going to be kind of a, a primary focal point of the story and some decent action, some some humor and, and hopefully something that felt fresh, even in the midst of just everything that we've been getting. And, and I think that by the time I left the movies, I felt that it was it was OK. It was a pretty decent and OK movie overall. And there's some things that certainly worked and were successful for me and, and, and a fair share of things that weren't. I'll start off with the good, primarily what's already been said. The family dynamic is really sort of the hallmark of this film and why it works so well. There's pretty, pretty great chemistry, I think, across the board between Jaime and the rest of his family and just like those those in close proximity to him. And the fact that they become a very, very active part of the story, whereas so many superhero films, heroes have to hide their identities. They have to keep the secret from their parents or their relatives so that they can protect them and not throw them in the midst of danger. That's not really a thing in this movie. Like the parents and the family, they are an extension of the Blue Beetle character. And I found that to be a really cool element that you just don't always see. And I do think that there were a couple of really strong performances as well. I think Jolo Meduena, I really, really enjoyed mm-hmm. him in this movie. I think that he has a bright career and bright future ahead of him. As I've noticed in the past, I, I, I enjoy his work in Cobra Kai. And I know Cobra Kai has some of its own detractors. That 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 is certainly a show that leans heavy on melodrama. It feels very much like a soap opera mixed in with karate, but I love it. I think it's a great show. And I think that he definitely kind of stands head and shoulders uh, apart from the rest of the cast. And that just kind of carried over here. He has so much charisma, so much just natural, just kind of charm to him as like a younger actor coming in to really lead this movie and carry it on his shoulders. I thought that he did a really, really tremendous job. And of course, the supporting cast around him, George Lopez is taking some very creative swings with this character. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, but I, I I like the fact that he's just like having a lot of fun with it. He doesn't really care. I also like the sister and, and brother dynamic, a part of this story as well. I think that there's a good mm-hmm. a good balance to that story. On the other hand of it, though, I think what, what doesn't necessarily work as well is one, the runtime of this movie. It, it, it goes on, I think, uh, far longer than it needs to, especially in the third act. The third act really, really drags. And I think it really just kind of goes on and on and on. And they could have taken out a few of the story beats to really tighten up the pace. 
the villain issue is prevalent here. I, I really won't add more to that until we get to spoilers because the, the dynamic between Susan Sarandon and the OMAC character, it's just strange. Mm-hmm. They they just feel like they're in a completely separate movie entirely. I don't really know what's going on there. And and really kind of the biggest issue, I think, overall with this movie, it's, it's, it's the nature of it being just so derivative of other things we've seen for so long now. I just don't know how many more origin stories we need in these films. I, I just think that, that particular form formula has run its course. I think it ran its course years ago. And, and I, I would love to get back to a place where films focused on just dropping us in the middle of relationships with characters. You know, I, I think back to decades and decades ago, like when we first met James Bond, we didn't know anything about him. They didn't peel back his origin story until Casino Royale. That was like the 21st mm-hmm. or 22nd movie that we found mm-hmm. anything out about him. Indiana Jones, you just meet Indy. You don't know anything about him. <laughs> He's just on his adventure. But even recent superhero examples, the Batman movie, what Matt Reeves just did a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Hell, even Black Panther, if you really think about it, is not an origin story. Like, yep. we just meet T'Challa. He's just already sort of at the forefront of the kingdom. He's priming himself to be a leader. We we do see that transition happen from him just be- becoming the prince to becoming king, but we don't meet him as a young boy or or him growing up like we just kind of get thrown into it and i think i think we're just at the place where we can handle that because even if it's a new or lesser known character if we don't get that origin story i don't think that that's going to hinder us from enjoying the story that they tell i think we can just like naturally drop in at a, at a story at, at a point that makes sense catch us up to speed with where the characters are who they are the relationships between each other and they just kind of go from there I, I just really i really just i think we're kind of past that point of of superhero origin stories it's been done really really well before and i don't know how many more interpretations and iterations of that we can get so that's kind of the biggest criticism towards it but overall i think it's a fine movie there is shared dna across other projects spider-man iron man hell even ant-man you can see some of that stuff in here so you're not necessarily getting a ton new but that family dynamic really does carry it quite a bit i think across the finish line to make it something that's at least worth checking out at least worth experiencing because that does change it up just a bit um even compared to a miss marvel like when you look at that show the family is very important to it but they're not necessarily an active part of the action. You know, they're not mm-hmm. going on missions with Kamala Khan. Th- this family absolutely is going on missions. So I really, really enjoyed that. But those are all of our non-spoiler thoughts. Those are all of our big picture sort of feelings about the film. Let's go ahead and dive into spoilers and talk about this movie in depth. So if you've not seen Blue Beetle, this is your spoiler warning. Go check out the movie whenever you get a chance and come back and listen to the rest of our conversation. And we're going to do sort of a character by character breakdown. And we, 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 of course, have to start with the titular character himself. Jaime Reyes, a.k.a. Blue Beetle, played by Jolo Metadueña, um, coming in here as the third interpretation of the Blue Beetle character. Now, what, what's really interesting here is that they do change a couple of things about Blue Beetle. Um, one that, that's really important to note is the setting. Palmera City in this movie is an original creation. That That is not something necessarily based off the comics. Blue Beetle is a character, has historically been based in El Paso, Texas. This city was something entirely different. I think the director, Angel Manuel Soto, he talked about wanting to give Blue Beetle his own city, kind of like Batman has Gotham and Superman has Metropolis. Why mm-hmm. not create a new city and a new setting for the character of Blue Beetle, which I thought was a really cool choice. You know, it felt like a mix between like a futuristic Tokyo, but also Miami at the same time. But it's supposed to be <laughs> set in Texas. So I'm like, this is like a weird hodgepodge, but it's it's interesting. <laughs> it's it's a nice creative choice. Um, And then, of course, all the other things with the character. He's coming back from college. He went to Gotham Law School. He did pre-law there. And now he's rejoining his family to find out that they are in a pretty precarious position. The city is being impacted by court industries. 
They're being displaced from their community. They're about to be put out of their home. There's a ton of gentrification happening. So the character's getting thrown into a lot upon graduating college. So Des, I actually start with you. What did you think about sort of the opening moments of, of meeting Jaime Reyes before he actually becomes the Blue Beetle character? And what did you think about just some of the choices that they made to sort of ground him in this in this new setting of Palmyra City? Yeah, I think I like uh, uh, one of the challenges that they give him. Uh, I think in a lot of these, these these superhero films, we also don't get to see, I think, the life of a normal millennial. <laughs> we get a lot of times we get the life of these old billionaires or some some old dude who came across something and gets powers or something. We don't normally get just like, oh, this dude just graduated college. Oh, shoot. I know what that's like. <laughs> this is one of the first times I was like, wait, I know what he's going through. And he graduates and the dude is just looking for a job. And that's like, I and, and that's something I think that's so relatable. Again, that we don't normally get in a lot of these projects. It's like, man, somebody helped this dude out. And and I think immediately, in a lot of ways, you're rooting for him. And I, again, not only because of his situation, but Zolo, again, Marduania, he's just, uh, uh, he's a charismatic guy. And I think he he plays his role very well of being somebody who is, uh, uh, again, somewhat lovable. Um, and, 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 and then you meet his family. And then, you know, you're going through all these things of him trying to get a job. How embarrassing his family is. Again, we don't get this a lot. We've seen it in other things that aren't tied to superheroes, right? This is like a, that might be like a coming of age, you know, kind of movie. Or like you think to Into the Spider-Verse where you, where Miles gets dropped off and his dad is like, tell me you love me back, <laughs> you know, kind of type. There are other embarrassing moments, but again, just not like this in, in this dynamic. So I, I really like the intro that they gave us here. I really like, again, also the idea of Palmyra City. That really, that quote in general was like, if Batman and Superman can get it, why can't <laughs> Jaime Reyes get his own city too? I absolutely love that. That's a that's a really good idea. And I'm glad um, they decided to, to go with it too. It's also interesting you, when you see the city and there's like LexCorp in the city, I was like, wait a second, what's happening here? Why is LexCorp next to goddamn, what are we doing here? What is, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> what What's going on there? I'm, I'm, I was a little curious about that, but um, I think uh, the way they set it up just made sense in a lot of ways. I will say, I think they spent a little bit too much time in the beginning as well. Um, there's That setup took a minute for me. There was a minute I was like, dang, we he's not Blue Beetle yet. What time is it? <laughs> like, what, what's what's going on here? But I, I, I do, uh, I think I appreciate the way they set up Jaime Reyes as a character for sure. Yeah, that, that's actually a perfect setup to this follow-up question for, for Danny. I, I'm curious to know, like, how did you feel about those opening moments of the movie? It was about 20 or so minutes where we just kind of meet his family. We we learn about a situation. They're facing eviction. He also gets the job at, at, at the mansion, you know, sort of cleaning because he can't really find anything else. And he's considering going to grad school and trying to take up multiple jobs to help out with the money. So what, what did you think about just like all of those story beats that they injected to his character in, in relationship to his family? So uh, similar to what Des was saying was it's it's just like this relatable scenario that you can see. I mean, he came back and and many people, uh, you know, they go off to college and it's just like, as we've been saying, alluding to is like this whole family dy that dynamic. And it's like they're trying to protect him from these real world things that were happening just so he could finish his degree. And he comes back and he finds all these like crazy things are going on with his family that are, that are like bad things that are going on. And it's just like, it puts him in, in this, like, like, uh, what's the phrase? A uh, drinking from a, from a fire hose. It's just like so mm. much coming at you at one time that, and, and he's still like, he still maintains his, his composure in a sense. He, he puts his family first uh, as you guys were saying, like the charisma that he has that, it makes you it makes you root for the character. It makes you like 
want good things for him and his family. Like you just see the love that they have for each other that uh, I, I think was very much enjoyable. Fun fact about Palmera City, uh, the, the whole movie was actually shot in Puerto Rico, which was pretty interesting. I myself am Puerto Rican and so is my co-host. Um, and so I, I did not know it was shot, shot in Puerto Rico until like I saw the credits. I was like, oh, how about that? But um, yeah, so just it did take a while uh, because we were kind of saying like this whole origin story is just taking so long. And one thing about James Gunn, I know this is like something different, but one thing James Gunn did say about his new Superman movie is that it's like not technically an origin story and it's kind of just throwing him in the character, kind of how we, how we want to see with Indiana Jones and James Bond and stuff like that. So while I do think it was too much time, I did enjoy that we got to know this family before, uh, being thrown into the mess because there's kind of like some pacing issues that, that go on in this film, but we, we kind of have a groundwork for what's going forward into this film because family takes such a center stage in it. So I, I think that they really wanted to have that groundwork of the family before like anything else happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, and it's interesting too. I mean, you pointed out the fact of, going away to college and then coming back and all of a sudden like everything that you thought you knew when you left is now different i've mm -hmm. been in that experience i've known a lot of people to be in that experience where they're off studying you know they're really focused on school and just kind of living their life away at college and then they find out some pretty devastating news coming back that their parents or relatives kept from them for mm -hmm. the sake of not wanting that person to be to to, to lose focus or or to you know all of a sudden panic and, and and do something that might be somewhat of an irrational decision based on emotion. And so when they put that in there, I was like, oh, that's actually, that's a really cool idea that yes, he's been in Gotham like all this time. He probably only gets to visit home a couple of times a year. And even when he does visit home, they're pretending that everything is okay. Like it's fine. Nobody's, nobody's unhealthy. The home is great. Like we're still taking, taking care of it. Your bedroom looks the exact same as, as when you left it, when that's just not the truth of the matter. And, and they're doing that to shield him and protect him because he is a first generation college graduate and they know how important yep. that is. And I love that they did, you know, sort of spend some time focusing on that. They're, they're more celebratory, even in the midst of those challenges that they're facing. And I also love the touches of just like, exposing us to like Palmyra city as a, as a place within this universe. And the fact that you do get the sense that things are changing and the city is evolving and, and gentrification is happening there. There's like that one really quick shot. Now I, I like that they don't really harp on it too long, but you can see like on, on one block across the street from their home that a Starbucks is coming, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I think the key indicators that we know, like, Oh yeah, gentrification is happening in this neighborhood and potentially displacing people. It's also a really big factor here. So I thought that that was like good setup for just the nature of the story and what they're trying to tell and, and, and do a, a bit of a bigger, I think a bigger dive into Palmyra city and really help build that, that world that they're trying to establish here. Um, let's talk about the suit because that is a really, really important part of it. And the scarab in fact, because that is, that is key mythology as it relates to the blue beetle character. Once that does happen, there's a whole sequence when, 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 when the character Jenny, you know, is, is, is trying to, retrieve the scarab because she's 
on opposite sides of her aunt and, and she gets it in the hands of Jaime, who's just trying to find a job. He goes to Cord after meeting Jenny and, and he's just trying to look for a job and she hands him the, the this this burger container from this fast food restaurant and it has the scarab inside of it and he takes it back home his family's like you know what's in, what's inside show us try it out whatever it is you know they're trying to really egg him on and put it put put this you know this thing on him and and he does so and it results in 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 the suit basically you know forming into his body it becomes symbiotic with him and i found that sequence to actually be quite horrific it was it was kind of shocking how how crazy it was like it was bulging out of his back there was fiery because his clothes got set on fire. Like things were, were melting out of his eyes. It was, it was kind of a crazy visual. Um, Des, what did you think about that whole sequence of like him getting the suit? And then just like the five minutes thereafter where he's flying all over the place. He doesn't know how to use it. The voice inside is talking to him. It's very much reminiscent mm-hmm. of what we've seen before, but how did right. you feel about just the whole sequence of him, you know, first becoming, becoming one essentially with the scarab? Man, it might be my favorite part of the movie, to be honest. I was like, wait a second. What what am I watching? Are we sure this is Blue Beetle still? Because it is giving horror. I mean, it was it was really crazy. Man, it's sticking to the ceiling, looking like the... I, I seen somebody compare it to the thing. I was like, dang, it doesn't look like the thing. Or like, I, I, there was just a lot happening in the scene, but I really liked it. Because, of course, something like that happening to you, a scarab literally becoming part of your DNA, part of your body, you meshing with this thing, it would be horrific what i like about it second most of, uh, apart from the way it looks it just looked crazy is that his family is witnessing the entire thing again this is something we almost never see is the family witnessing the person getting their powers you know what i mean it's usually like some isolated thing of like oh oh you have powers if, and i had to hide them from everybody for a very long time nope you can see Jaime getting powers in real time. Everybody, mom, dad, abuela, the sister, everybody is seeing him get these in real time. And it's scary as hell. They didn't know what to do. They literally didn't do anything. That's what I also like about it is they, in that moment, you would be too scared to do anything. And that's exactly how it was, man. They're All they're doing is hiding, cussing, <laughs> trying to figure out what else is going on. And, and so, I, yeah, man, I, it legit might be my favorite part of the movie because it was it was something unexpected and something we hadn't really gotten before but that leading into the 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 scene after that of him flying and stuff again we had seen it before there was the moment right with the bus where he cuts the bus in half i was like nobody died for real like everybody (laughs) is perfectly standing on these two sides of the bus that got cut in half nobody got cut in half in that moment Okay, what's going on there? But even that moment, you know, because of because it's a bus, you can't help it. It felt like Shang-Chi, right? Like you're watching it like, dang, this feels like Shang-Chi. I don't know how to feel about this. And everything leading up to it, it does have a little bit of Spider-Man homecoming. It does have a little bit of uh, of, of Iron Man in it. You, I, I just couldn't help but feel it. There's nothing you can do. We had seen it before. But it, it also makes sense, though, for what the character is. Like, it, it's not like it was super far-fetched. Because uh, Kaji Dai is like again just this whole person and entity which um we see is 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 uh uh kind of has the i guess the form of a woman you know uh, uh, to some degree but she she definitely <laughs> was was uh i think becoming an important part of the story in that moment part of me just wishes they showed it another way first somehow rather than the whole flying montage i don't know what's happening kind of type thing i wish there was another way they could have went about it but i think it, it makes sense it's just again unfortunate that we had seen it before yeah, I, th- I think the scene in the house works really, really well. Once we get out of the house and exactly. we're just getting to the more traditional, oh, he's flying, he's in space, he's in the city and he doesn't really know what to do and he's panicking. And 
people are just kind of witnessing this whole thing unfold and everybody turns the other cheek, you know. There there is that one like sequence where like the guys they clearly had just took an edible or something. They're like, did it did it hit you yet? Like, did, did it hit yet? And then all of a sudden they see Blue Beetle fall on top of a car and destroy it. And they're like, yeah, I think it hit. You know, that that was a nice touch to, to try to make it feel a little bit different. But um, Danny, how did you feel about just the look of the suit as well? I think um, we're in this we're in this era where sometimes it's a little difficult to tell what's practical and what's like CG. This felt like that there was kind of a mix of both. I don't really know. I didn't do the research to figure out if this is like a fully CG suit, but there were many po points in the movie where I was like, oh, this could be practical. This could actually like be on the physical person of Jolo. And and and, and they're, they're actually trying to bring this to life in a different way versus like other points that are that are more CG heavy. How did you feel about this? The look of the suit, you know, sort of its faithfulness, faithfulness to the comics and also just like the functionality of it as well. The fact that he can just think of anything and all of a sudden conjure it up, you know, create a sword or create anything else that, that comes a, a, as an extension of the suit. Yeah. So as far as I know, it was a practical suit and I, I very much enjoyed that because just, I think studios are relying too much on CG and it's like you realize you can still do these especially with the budgets like some of these movies are coming out with I'm like you you can do practical effects but you're choosing to do CG I don't know why but uh this suit was was practical effects and I very much enjoyed it because I think you could very much tell the difference between this suit and suits that we've seen in other projects between marvel and dc that are are cg it's like well you can definitely tell the difference because one is one is actually real um but as far as the like the scene itself when when he was getting the suit i i agree with des this was one of my top favorite scenes and it, it i laughed i laughed at crap so i don't think i that was i i told all my friends that that was the scene i laughed more than than any other scene in that movie went because i mean i just remember george lopez being like it's in his ass it's in his ass and i i couldn't stop laughing i mean, it was just so funny because like i just think i just think of a family like a family dynamic just like doing all sorts of things one person's screaming the other person's about to pass out the other person's like cussing it's like it's in his ass like it's like all sorts all over the place but uh kind of what does say like it was more graphic than I thought. And I was like, this is actually kind of terrifying. Like it to be a uh, solo in that moment. Like I, I would like his eyes turned black. That was, it was so creepy. Um, but overall, I, I just very much enjoy how Angel uh, did decide to go with the practical suit because not many directors are doing that lately. Yeah, which which is unfortunate. I think practical still. It, it, I mean, it just looks so much better, and that I think you can tell the difference too. You know, and I think that that that's pretty explicit in this movie, and one of the great choices that they made. But man, yeah, that that scene in the house, it, it was so much happening. There was one point where he electrocuted. I think George Lopez at one point, and he was like, "He's possessed. He's possessed." Like <laughs> all of this stuff is happening. Nana is over, you know, in the corner stitching. She doesn't know what's going on. Uh -huh. So it, it was a really well executed scene. I think that this is like they knew that they had something special on their hand. That's why that you know a lot of this was in the trailer because this is kind mm -hmm. of like really the thing the thing that, that that captures you you know it's like wow this 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 young kid is 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 very much like going through a very aggressive transformation right now like this scarab is probably on the brink of killing him before it actually you know sinks with his body and then and, and starts to become you know more symbiotic and so i thought that that was a it was a really nice touch and then we we saw what happened thereafter but um let's talk about the family more in depth um there, there's you know five key members of this family i want to start with the parents actually you know his mother and father obviously they are they are very pivotal but 
it's really the father, you know, who has a lot of the story time and a lot of the story beats in this movie played by Damien Alcazar. Um, the mother doesn't get necessarily as much screen time and as much story, but the father does have a, a very pivotal role here. Um, mm-hmm. Once Jaime comes back from from college, he finds out that his father had a heart attack. And, you know, that that's on top of the news of them on the brink of eviction, you know, so we're, we're, we're dealing with very, very serious stuff. They're going to be without a home. And also his father is undergoing some pretty serious medical issues. And we even see the moment of him having to take some medication. So it's clearly a thing that, that they have to deal with and they have to contend with. And I love also the subtlety of it, that there were several points throughout the film where I think Damien, he makes some choices to kind of exhibit some senses of like pain and strain on his body he doesn't like overtly do it but there's a couple of scenes like I think it was one point he looks out the window and you can tell like he's starting to like have a physical a physical effect on just like all of these events happening because you can just imagine a person dealing with stress that's not good for you after you've already suffered a heart attack so what did you all think about just you know them them making that a a true motivator for I think the entire family and for Jaime specifically Danny we can start with you but how did you feel about that relationship and the fact that the father-son sort of dynamic here was really kind of a driving force for Jaime to not only still be a provider, but also to allow him to realize his full potential, you know, towards the end of the film and becoming Blue Beetle. Yeah, so the family dynamic is the heart of this movie. And at least for this movie specifically, there really is no Blue Beetle without the rest of the family. Like, they, like he, he self-actualized himself because of his family. He did all these stuff because his family helped him. And it, it really showed this driving force that we haven't seen in other films to that degree. Because uh, like you guys alluded to way back in the beginning of the podcast, like everyone got issues with their family or you just don't really see it. But it's like Blue Beetle is the family. And the, with the dad specifically, I, I think that he, it just really showed the while we really didn't get as much in this film because he had passed away uh, towards the middle of the film, it showed that there was a strong connection between, between him and, and uh, Jaime before, you know, un- unseen footage. Like they just had this strong connection. You could tell, you could feel it in any time they were interacting with each other. As far as the end, whenever they have that talk uh, in this like other realm, uh, I enjoyed the talk. I, I think it was like, while it's kind of like the same DNA with other films, I do think it it pushed the film along in a way that it kind of needed to. But this the, the background of it where everything was like floating and destroying and stuff like that, I personally found that weird. I was like, there's no reason for this. I think it would have just really been nice <laughs> if it was just grounded in the house because that's kind of what this movie was. It was to a degree, it was Mm -hmm. grounded. It was about the family. It was about that, you know, the house was possibly being evicted and stuff like that. So I think if they just stayed having a conversation in the house, even if they just walked around Palmyra city, like, you know, with the other in the neighborhood or something like that, it could have been nice, but they made it like this extraterrestrial thing that it was a little bit too much, but I still enjoyed the talk that they had. And I think it was, it was emotional Uh, There was a lot of emotional scenes in this film and it worked well. Yeah. You know, we're we're in a day and age where so many fantasy films, genre films, they, 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 they experience death or they implement death into their stories, but there's an ancestral plane of some sort 
everywhere. Even Barbie had one where she just goes into this white void. You know, I think that that was like a, a big component to the end of that movie. And we we constantly see this in superhero stories as well, as you as you noted, if it, it resembles an ancestral plane like we've seen in Black Panther. But it, mm-hmm. it's not exclusive to that either. It's, it's happened in other films where somebody's character is on the brink of death and all of a sudden they're they're kind of in the in the in the almost afterlife or in purgatory i don't know where the hell they are um but but that scene i i will be honest like again that happened in in the third act and a lot of my problems do do fall in the third act and i i, I don't mm-hmm. know if we needed that i think that i think that the relationship between jaime and his father was was pretty well communicated mm-hmm. and the idea of the health problems was 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 already there and 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 we knew the importance and the gravity of that and I, I know they want to hammer home the the the, the point of him self-actualizing and becoming a hero. But to your point, the the setting of it just felt a little off and disjointed from the rest of the movie. Des, did that scene work for you? And, and in addition to that, what did you think about just the the the, the integration of of his father's health problems and, and the heart attack, you know, becoming a very prominent part of the story? Yeah, as, as for the scene, it was definitely. It definitely took me out of it a little bit. Uh, I was like, wait a second. Okay, now where do we go? Like uh, almost in the same way that I really like, you know, when he first gets hit with the scarab, I'm like, okay, we're here. I like this. We've never seen this. And I was like, wait a second. But now we're in a we're in a moment where we've seen this too many times. Oh no, it, you need to realize you need to be a hero in this moment. Let's magically go to a plane where this person who can help you through what you need to <laughs> what you need to get through. <laughs> exist let's just magically go there and they do that and it's uh, we we just didn't need it we didn't need it because to me um that moment had already happened when 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 he does suffer that second heart attack or i don't know how many heart attacks technically he had before jaime got there right but when he does suffer that 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 heart attack um where where uh uh, victoria cord is, is is trying to get the scarab when he does suffer that heart attack, to me, that's one of the saddest points in the movie. And but that was also already the motivator. Not only that, but the rest of the family that was alive was also the motivator. Right. That moment where they're like, uh, uh, we don't don't cry now. You know what I mean? Cry, you know, and, and they go and they just do the mission and then they get back and they go. Now we can cry. That's like a that's the motivator. Not necessarily dad. You know, that's that's a that's a direct correlation to dad dying. You don't have to do all the other stuff to because we it's like we got it. You know, like you said, they're trying to nail the hammer uh, on the head. But it's like we we just simply didn't need it. Um, I do like the I I do like the idea. I know it sounds really dark. Wow. I do like the idea of him dying to health complications, though. That is a very real thing that most underrepresented groups deal with, uh, you know, in our communities. Um, and it's even more so accurate. I know th- that low key he died because of an entitled white woman <laughs> who just pulled up to his house out of nowhere, in fact, and was like, I'm going to rain fucking hell on everything you got here. Entitled. She literally was like, this belongs to me. I'm going to take it. And dad died because of it. That is wow. That's accurate. That was like one of the most accurate things. I was like, yeah, <laughs> they're going there. Low key. They're going there. But it is it, it, definitely accurate. So, again, I like the idea I, I I do like again it's really dark, but I do like that he we, he does serve as like a a little bit of a conduit to to the family rallying together around his death. I didn't mind any of that. Uh, again, something we kind of seen before. I was like, but it makes sense in this context, right? It feels good in this context. These are good story beats. I just wish that last random dream sequence <laughs> did not happen because I think they could have nailed it and, and brought it home um uh, in, in a different way and honestly probably save some time too. That wasn't a short sequence. I was like, damn, we here 
for a minute <laughs> we're still here so yeah I, I i agree with both of you that it, it, again a lot of other stuff worked but that that dream sequence did not i i think a good way to instead of having this dream sequence could have just been like having flashbacks of moments with his family mm-hmm. because because his family was like this motivator like you were saying and instead of having like this ancestral plane uh, just like having flashbacks of actual moments that he's had with his family, um, mm-hmm. just the joys of it, the highs, the lows, and everything that com- goes into that. It's like then you could have this self-actualization. Yeah, I, I do like that a lot better because, you know, he goes into the dream sequence and he veers around the corner and his father is just sitting in a candlelit room with like 700 candles. I'm like, what this feels a little too sensual. Like what, what are we trying to achieve here? It was a really strange choice and I didn't get it. And then, and then all of a sudden everything like it's, it's clear everything is starting to evaporate because he's about to wake up from the dream. So the dream is Mm -hmm. about to end, but it, you know, it just creatively just kind of felt out of place from the rest of the movie. And, and, and the one, the one key moment that his mother does get in the movie, I think is actually more effective when she talks to him on the ship, right. When Mm -hmm. they're about to leave the Island and he has to go back for his sister. She's like, no, now is the time for you to become who you're meant to be. Go kick their asses. Like, go yep. take care of business. Like, that drives home the point because I feel the spirit of the exactly. father, you know, flowing through her. That That's something it feels like he would say, you know, and we didn't necessarily need a three-minute sequence of, of, this, of this dream, you know, in order to achieve that. So definitely one of the things that could have probably been improved upon. Let's talk about a sister, though, in fact, um, played by Melissa Escobedo. Um, I don't know if I've seen her elsewhere necessarily. She does look familiar in as, a, as an actress, but she she comes in and I think provides a really good balance to the Jaime character. She's obviously a, a, a loving sister, but she's also one to just tell it straight and tell it like it is. We, we find out pretty early that she's not going to follow the conventional path that her brother has. She she makes it very clear. She has no intentions on going to college. She does not want debt. She's also very much like on his ass about, you know, him getting a job and then also, you know, meeting Jenny and just kind of knowing and feeling her out. But she still feels like a supportive sister as well. Like she's she's showing up for him. She's definitely like rooting for him and making sure that he's protected because anytime she feels that there's a threat towards the family, she's she's the first up to say something. So I, I like I like what they did with her character. I like the presence in the family. I like that, you know, her and Jaime feel like they have a really good and genuine relationship, but it isn't always like 100% just cookie cutter. They're not necessarily like, always loving towards each other it just kind of feels i think the most organic and natural probably out of any of the actual familial relationships throughout the throughout the movie danny how did you feel about just the way that they communicated the brother sister dynamic in the movie uh like you were saying it was just it was natural it was organic but also it was i think different from other times it other films that we've seen where there are sibling dynamics because a lot of times you'll see you know one person is doing everything that the family dreams of or they're just like the prodigal child and then the other child is like not up to standards or something like that but these two different people have different career paths different choices like she wanted she doesn't want to go to college he wanted to go to college all these different things but there was still support between them there was no like oh i'm the better kid because i went to college even the family wasn't like oh maybe you need to be like Jaime because he went to college and stuff like that. It was like, it wasn't this hatred towards each other's jealousy or anything like that. So I enjoyed that aspect uh, most of all between them uh, because there wasn't this jealousy. Like you can have different career paths 
and still love each other and support each other because ultimately that's real life real life we all have different career paths like we don't have to follow the the cookie cutter way that the world tells us to to go to yeah i I really like that they don't create tension between the two in that respect Mm -hmm. because that that kind of would have felt cliche. Like we've seen that also before where it's like, oh, the sister feels a type of way because the parents provide more attention and care towards Jaime. But that mm-hmm. that doesn't feel like the case. And I like that they didn't take that path because it would have felt that probably would have felt more contrived as opposed to to the route that they did take. But uh, Des, how did you feel about Milagro as, as, as the sister to Jaime in this movie? Yeah, you said we've seen her before. She was in a uh, Hocus Pocus too. I was like, oh yes, I knew I've seen this girl. There somewhere. we go. <laughs> I knew I knew it was something recent. It had to be. Yeah, it had to be. I was like, oh, I, uh, she seems so familiar. Um, I think she did what she had to do, man. She really was. I think the person who is, uh, uh, I guess, somewhat closest to Jaime's situation, but just being a young, a young adult. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's not Jenny Cord. You know what I mean? Someone who is part of the family that can at least see Jaime. Uh, uh, somewhat act as a bridge, right? She's like the, you've been away at school, but I also understand why you went away to school. At the same time, I've been with the family and I can tell you what's kind of been going on with the family kind of type thing. She definitely serves as a bridge, I think, between those two things. So I, I, I again, I think she did what she had to do. I really like that they gave her uh, a little bit to do too with the glove, with the Nintendo looking power glove thing, I thought, which was cool because they could have... I think also in a lot of in a lot of movies like this that do have a brother sister dynamic, usually one's more protective over the other one. If that makes sense, usually it's like a big brother protecting the little sister. Oh, no, you took the little sister kind of type thing. But they do on a lot of ways again. But beyond Jaime just going away, getting degree, they feel like on even playing field for the most part in terms of their the spot that they fit in the family. And I really I think I appreciated that as well uh uh, like you said there's really no bad blood they kind of are just brother and sister even though she's she's like usually mean to him or like always saying some crazy stuff to him i i I like how they they bring out the love when she thinks he's gonna die and this and that um those are like the good cliches i like to see you know what i'm saying so i i i enjoyed her role here absolutely let's uh let's move on to talk about nana played by adriana barraza uh who is an incredible actress has had a long career in Hollywood she she she's one of those familiar actresses that I've seen in a lot of Alejandro Inarritu films you know she's been in Babel she was mm-hmm. nominated for an Academy Award in that movie she's in Amoros Pero she's had a really really long career and she's coming in here as as you know one of the matriarchs of the family but also we we slowly but surely find out throughout the DNA of this movie that she's like a revolutionary she's had a wild past like we don't even get the full extent of like what she's been up to but she does some pretty crazy and ridiculous shit by the end of this movie like she has no no hesitation picking up what what's the equivalent to a to a futuristic minigun and just mowing down a lot of these soldiers you know in in cold blood as it seems and so a very very dynamic character also had a lot of funny moments you know again feels unassuming in 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 the early stages of the movie but by the end she's like a, a full force to be reckoned with but also had emotional beats too so there's a lot to her character i really like what she brought here uh danny how did you feel about you know the performance here from adriana barazza and just like the the character and how it evolved throughout the course of the movie she killed it. She honestly was one of the standouts of the film. I thought her acting was very, very good. Um, and, and like you said, like she seemed unassuming in the beginning, but then she was this full force at the end. But also she kind of held the family together out of out of everyone in the family that you think about. Like, uh, I, th- I believe it was Des that said it earlier when she was like, this is not the time to cry. And then she was like, okay, now is the time to cry. She uh, like 
I think she was even welcoming of uh the other court. Jenny. I forgot her name, Jenny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I I just thought that she balanced out well of everyone's feelings in the family, but also like the matriarch. I, I kind of think of uh what's that movie? Uh, not Moana, the other one. Uh, the one with the, the Hispanics. I oh, Encanto. Encanto. Yes. Mm-hmm. So mm. I I think of that where like the grandma was like this matriarch of the family but also just with a pure heart and and fun facts it's like oh she has this crazy backstory but we also (laughs) didn't need we also didn't get the backstory which 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 was good i like it would have it would have just created more runtime that i don't think that we would have needed if they were like if they explained this whole like flashback with her but but they didn't it was it was like this fun thing that they put in there but also that they could use it maybe in a future project. Maybe uh, the family goes out on more missions with Blue Beetle and uh, Nana just decides to, you know, pick up another minigun and just starts mowing people down. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, what goes from there. But I thought she, she was one of the standouts. Certainly. I, I just love the moment. And, and she says it in Spanish, so I'm obviously paraphrasing. But when they're on the ship and they're about to go rescue Jaime and she's like, oh, I've infiltrated a prison like this before. Like, I've done that before. <laughs> and the sister's like, wait, what? Like, wh- what are you talking about? What, what What's going on here? So just a really good sort of like bread cu- breadcrumb to like her character, because they do they do. sow those seeds like very, very subtly earlier in the movie, like small lines that are just kind of thrown out there until it manifests into like, oh, she's a soldier, essentially, that, that's about to, you know, protect her family at all costs. Um, Des, what did you think about just like the progression of her character, the comedy beats that she added, but also I think to Danny's point, which is definitely like a, a notable thing, is that she did provide a lot of balance amongst the family. You know, you had some mm-hmm. people that were that were very much like on the contrary towards each other and, and had opposing views, but she would come in and sort of like steady the ship and get people where they needed to be. Yeah, I, I I love how Nana really serves as, you know, really the, the honest and true abuela. I mean, I think we a lot of our grandmas, one, are like this. They have secrets <laughs> and we don't there are things about them that we don't know or may never know. And here she is with a whole nother life in the past. Nana, how do you know how to hold that gun so well? You just the camera just turns and she looks like the most comfortable person holding the minigun I think I've ever seen. Like I I. I don't know. I don't know how we got here, but it makes uh, a, a lot of sense, man. I think she's probably one of my favorite characters. And it's probably literally, probably literally Jaime, Rudy, and Nana might be like my top three characters in the movie. They really all uh, uh, did what they needed to do. And Nana, man, she, she, she just brought like a, one, she brought some comedy to the film. Uh, she also shifted the tone a couple of times, but it was campy enough that it worked. Like <laughs> it was like, Oh, this is campy. But I have to allow it. It's too good to not allow it at these moments. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah, no, nah, she's 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 really killing this. Um, but yeah, I, I think you know that that's really what grandmas do. They really hold the family together, and they actually for real be having secrets like that, man. So I, I I really like what she brought to the table in this film. She brought a lot of comedy, and she also brought a lot of uh, a lot of energy to the movie too. Because when you see her, it's not only like again a laughing moment. It's like oh no, it's time to, it's time to turn up. You know what I'm saying? Like it's like everybody getting excited for what's about to come because now it's about to shoot some people. All right, so it it was dope. It was dope. It it was really the maniacal laugh for me after she that killed. laugh was crazy. 
like five soldiers. She is just <laughs> yeah. having the time of her life because she's probably not done anything like this in years. And she just takes down the hairpin and her pigtails fall. And I'm like, oh, shit, it's time to turn up. Like she's about to she's about to take it to him. So definitely, uh, I think, a fresh addition to the family as well. Just something that, that you don't necessarily expect coming into it. You think she's just like off to the side, stitching and sewing and, you know, taking care of her own business. But it's like, no, she's super important to just the development of like this family and, and making sure that they can rise up against this, this opposing force in, in court industries. Um, and, and last, but certainly not least, we got to talk about George Lopez himself coming in as uncle Rudy. He is such a fascinating character in this movie, not only in the way that George Lopez plays him, but in the way that they design the character, the character mm-hmm. feels very much like a, almost like a conspiracy theorist to some extent, but also a a genius scientist who knows how to like crack code and can deal with all sorts of tech. But he's also very wary of government, government agencies and and, and, and systems. And he's paranoid about cameras being everywhere. Like he's that type of person. And he comes in and he's like, don't say that too loud. Don't no, no, no. We're not calling the cops. Like we can't do that. Like let's, let's get ahead of ourselves. We can do this. Mm -hmm. He's secretly building tech on the back end, just like as a hobby, I guess, just to be prepared for whatever comes, you know? So he's, He's definitely the type to prepare for the apocalypse, you know, to just be ready for whatever the yep. fuck comes down. Uh, Des, what did you think about just his character in this movie and just like how George Lopez played him? Because you talk about camp earlier with with Nana. Oh, yeah. George Lopez went for the camp in, in, in the role <laughs> that he had here for sure. He did, but it works so, 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 so well because this is another uh, uh, actor who has been doing this exact, you know, kind of thing for a very long time this comedic acting george lopez uh, i mean we all have woken up to the george lopez song in the middle of the night on nick at night you know what i'm saying we all have been there and this 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 man has uh i guess continued to to just be part of our lives in in in, in the movie and tv since man and so he brought a lot to rudy like you said his character had a lot to it you're telling me he's like this uncle conspiracy theorist who got tech he not he has the tech he makes the tech he's cutting out the screens what it don't look like it should work but it definitely works it, it's like i don't know i also feel like again this feels like another uh, at least parts of him feel like another family member that somebody might might have you know i feel like i got a cousin who know how to bootleg anything that feels like uncle rudy like uncle rudy might be able to figure it out you know what i'm saying he might be able to actually get it done no matter how crazy he sounds some of the stuff he's saying is actually true you know what i'm saying it's actually is actually right man so man he brought a lot of heart um and, and i man, i just it just felt good to see him here again. It was it was, it was a couple times where it, it was just funny because when the movie felt like a Nickelodeon movie to me, and it was it was totally off. I was like, George Lopez is here. It feels like Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Stop it! Why does this movie feel like this? Uh, but no, overall, man. Again, one of my favorite characters. He was super funny. Uh, I also love that he loved this truck so much. Like this truck was like another character added to the movie a little bit. It was just a, a lot going on with this character. They definitely wrote in George Lopez as his character. You know what I mean? You could feel the weight, the gravitas that he had as a character in this movie. And, and, and uh, I was made to enjoy him, man. So yeah, I liked him a lot in this film. Oh, when, when Jaime stole the truck and he's at the window and he's screaming, he took taco, he took taco. And he, he, I don't know what happens. I don't know if he has like an aneurysm. He just like falls out and collapses. <laughs> but, out. but his, but his eyes are still, I don't know what's going on in that moment, but it was, it was hilarious. I, I think that that works really, really well. Um, Danny, what did you think about the fact that he was also like so pivotal to like all the missions because mm-hmm. he is kind of a tech genius. He knows a lot of information. He's very aware of like the role that court industries 
plays in Palmyra City. So he was pretty present, I think, throughout all the action sequences as well, whether he was just like driving Jaime and Jenny to, to one location or knowing where like certain tech was or, you know, cracking code or finding it, finding out information. How did you feel about him being sort of like an additional right hand to, to the missions that they were undertaking? So I have a couple thoughts on this. One is I, I feel like they just told George Lopez, hey, we have like this certain role for you. Like, so you have to, you know, know these things. And this is kind of like how your character is, but also just run with it and just do you because I feel like that's the, how you're going to have George Lopez on, on this film and not have him be himself. And you, you kind of saw that he was George Lopez in the flesh, like just doing George Lopez stuff. But when it comes to just playing an integral role, I loved how like he was like this funny guy, but also so intelligent. He he knew what he was doing, and and I thought it was super cool. Like this, I I found his background more interesting than than any anybody else's background, even Nana's, just because of like he he was like this conspiracy theorist, but also like so intelligent and knew what to do at all times and. I, I just finished reading the book 1984 about Big Brother and dystopian and all that. And I was like, mm. oh my gosh. And, and when he said Big Brother, I was like, I'm reading that because I, yeah. I was still reading the book at the moment. Mm-hmm. And it was it was just so cool. But like, you know, some of that stuff is like scary true, but but it's something that I also like kind of had a gripe about, but it was it was really minor was how he was able to figure out all that stuff like yeah we don't know his past and where he's been but just like given the state of where they were at i don't know how long he's been in palmera city like in that house and 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 whatever whatever job he's doing but like it doesn't seem like he had the resources or the tools to be able to know how to or even build the machine that like took everything out so it's like where how how was he able to do that and then when he went to the uh like the layer of blue beetle like he automatically knew what buttons to click what <laughs> how you already know what but like you didn't even have to like think about it you're like mm, is it this one is it that like even the smartest person like how you already know what buttons to click so it was, <laughs> I, there was some parts where i was like they're making him like a little bit too smart given his whatever background we don't know but i i still thought it worked and it was it was Ultimately, I thought it was a great choice to have him be a integral part of Blue Beetle's uh, just role in this movie. There, there's quite a few conveniences that that we've already alluded to that that certainly happened in this movie to just like progress the story. So I think that that's that that's a fair point. Um, I, I do love too. They don't they don't really harp on it too long, but there, there's an underlying sense of the brotherly relationship between him and Jaime's father you know I think mm-hmm. that there's that moment where after Jaime's father has passed like they're on the rooftop and and they're talking actually might have been no it was after the, the, that his father passed but they're on the rooftop talking um and he's just letting them know like yeah you know your father looked out for me he gave me a place to sleep and he was there for me when I needed him and I'm just like sleeping in the couch you know and I'm not necessarily doing anything so now he feels useful and he feels like a very important component to the family so I like that they touched on that too um, before we move on to the chords, though, I do want to kind of go back to what you just brought up, Danny. Like there is that sequence in the layer that happens about midway through the movie, right before I believe that um, that that Victoria sends her forces to go retrieve uh, Jaime and the Scarab. But we 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 find out that Blue Beetle does have a lineage and a history within Palmyra City because Uncle Rudy does already know who Blue Beetle is. He's like, oh. 
I know exactly who that is. He's like a hero for Palmyra City, like Batman is for Gotham and like Superman is for Metropolis. He's just not as good. And 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 Jenny kind of reinforces that by saying that, you know, her father, Ted Cord, who will, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about in a second, but her father, Ted Cord, he didn't necessarily know how to crack the code of the Scarab, I guess, because the Scarab has to have a perfect mm-hmm. match. But he tried to build tech on his own to, to, to try to support this technology and to create a hero for Palmyra City. So, uh, Des, what did you think about just like that, that piece of the of the movie, how they started to like really illuminate the fact that Blue Beetle has been around to some capacity mm-hmm. for a while and people are aware of his existence? Yeah, it's uh, it's very keen to what it should be like in real life, right? Where <laughs> Blue Scarab slash Blue Beetle is one of the oldest superheroes like ever. It was like 1938 or so. This dude has been around for a very, very, very long time. And I think uh, uh, they do try to use Ted Cord in that same way. I think Ted Cord only came around like 1966 or something like that specifically. But the idea that this character or the superhero had been around a while and now there's kind of a new one on the block is kind of how we, we should be feeling versus right now, a lot of people going into Blue Beetle was like, oh, I've never heard of this character before. Who is it? So I think I, I really like, I think that idea that they're trying to kind of uh, uh, hammer home there. Not only that, but um, I, I think it's cool to show us, I think, all the technology that TechCore was messing with. Like you said, we'll, we'll talk about all the TechCore stuff in a second. But all the there 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 is um, a lot of history with, uh, uh, again, this character throughout comics, even, you know, the this little scarab ship feeling like <laughs> the uh, uh, the owl ship from Watchmen is for a reason. You know what I'm saying? It, it really is all tied together and i think in in some of those ways so i think it's like they were subtly giving us like a little bit of history without blatantly be like look everybody this is what already has existed and this is already here instead they decided to kind of take us through like a more like a low-key walkthrough who ted cord is what really what he's about because this is a real character that actually exists um and like i said now there's a new kid on the block who can do all these other kind of crazy things without the use of having to learn the technology and, and and all those other things so i thought it was a pretty cool that they decided to do that man I, I was like oh shoot okay i see them they they that's when they i was like oh y'all got a little comic bookie that's what that's the stuff i kind of like to see sometimes kind of those subtle nods at previous characters or things like that that's like yeah i appreciate stuff like that it, it's a good way to expand the mythology as well to really provide historical context to all this um as we move into jenny cord you know danny what did you think about the integration of that that information about Ted Cord, the stuff that he tried to do, and then also how that kind of funneled down to his daughter. Because by the time we meet Jenny in this movie, once again, she's very much at, at, at odds with Victoria. It's kind of this conflict, this battle for the for the company, you know. And we, we we've seen again that before that that was very prevalent in Iron Man One, where you kind of see the 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 future of a company at stake and what direction they're going to take. Are they going to be weapons manufacturers, or are they going to you know sort of provide services and be more helpful? To their community so so how did you feel about just the, the the integration of that that particular scene in the story and then also how that ultimately impacted jenny and her her trajectory throughout this movie um well i mean we already know well for those that are watching you know, so like there is this post-credit scene where there is a future that they could take if they want to take that i don't know if there's gonna be blue beetles who given everything that's going on but like i do think that I, it worked well we have seen this kind of like formula dna where you have this like parent that owns this, whatever it is that they're like talking about in this case is toward court industries and, and the blue beetle layer and all that stuff. But it's like, I still liked it because it, it made me think of just 
uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, where it was like Zuko and, and the Fire Lord and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of liked how she was like, yeah, we live, we have, uh, there was this quote, I don't, I don't remember the exact way where, where it went, but it was like, I have stuff, but you have family. And, and to me, that was one of the hardest, like, hitting lines that uh, was in the movie that was said by Jenny. And it, it because it is true and is this reality that a lot of us kind of like fall into where we think stuff, 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 like everyone's trying to go after, you know, a new car, a big house and all this stuff. It's like, but ultimately at the root, what's most important is family and, and the people around you that you love, whether that's friends, family, whoever it is. So I, I very much like that. One issue that I did have, um, maybe it was resolved, but like, I didn't catch it, but how Blue Beetle has been around for X amount of years. And even George Lopez knew who, who Beetle, mm-hmm. who Blue Beetle was. But when Blue Beetle was, when uh, Jaime was wearing the suit, it's like, nobody knew who that was. Like, no, like <laughs> if you knew who Blue Beetle was, that means you've obviously had to have seen the suit. Mm-hmm. But like, you saw the suit on, on your son, or, or I guess it was your, your nephew. And it's like, it was it was a completely different person that we've never seen before. So I thought that was like, I don't know. I I feel like that was a plot hole unless I didn't I didn't catch something. But yeah, no, I don't think you missed anything because how do you not connect those dots? Like it's clearly yeah. a blue beetle. There there's no other thing that it could be except a blue beetle. So how how is Uncle Rudy? Do you not say, oh Jaime? I I think that this is somewhat connected to this this Ted Core thing, and and then they eventually meet Jenny before they actually go to this layer. So I think mm-hmm. that there were plenty of moments where they could have they could have definitely illuminated that and, and maybe emphasized that a bit more. Um, to to kind of you know stick to 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 Bruno Marquezine who plays Jenny Cord. Uh, Des, what what did you think specifically about the chemistry that she has with Jaime? Because that's also like another piece of the story it's 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 a burgeoning love story you know the the first time that they meet you know Jaime's sister's like oh I think she's into you because she instantly gives him his number and she's like I can get you a job at court I want to make it up to you and then we see kind of that chemistry develop throughout the movie and then ultimately by the end of it there there's obviously a romantic relationship that'll start between them did that work for you did do, do, do you think it was believable how, how did you feel about just their relationship and how it developed over the course of the movie I mean it was cool <laughs> I guess, you know, like, I don't, I don't, I think Jenny did something early in the movie that I think the rest of the movie, I was like, I guess she can come. And she literally gave Jaime the scarab and it ruined like the next like three days of his life. You know what I'm saying? Like, at what point did she ever think that her, the family or giving that to Jaime, he wouldn't be in some kind of trouble? Like, what was the moment? Where she was like, oh, he'll do anything. Take this very dangerous piece of equipment and go anywhere with it where somebody's probably following you and could potentially kill you. I just never I never really came back from that 100 percent that she put this entire family in jeopardy. I had no idea that it would do that. to you. (laughs) Even if you didn't know the scarab was going to do that, you could. There's no way you didn't know all them people was somehow security detail, whatever was going to pull up on this house, especially especially. Some Mexicans' house, they they don't what? They was gonna kick the door down, shoot these people. Come on, man! I I again, I just never really came back from that. But again, overall, she was cool. I guess she was she was okay. She uh, she also had some uh, 
not her her lines were not as lame as Victoria's lines per se, but she also I don't know I just feel like there was moments where I, I wanted her to come through a little bit harder on the lines that she did have and some of the dialogue that she did have because she sometimes she would feel like a a little bit of empty character to me. Um, even though she felt important to the the plot, she was there. She was arguing for her case, like oh I didn't know like. That all that's fine and dandy, but I needed something else from her, and I just didn't get it. I don't know. I don't really know exactly what it is. Again, I think it, it could have been the way she was written and the the things that they gave her to do in the film. But there was just something slightly missing from her character. But again, overall, she was fine. She, I, I didn't, I didn't hate her, but I didn't like love her how I was, I, I was expecting to 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 love. I think the love interest of our titular character right like when i look at pepper Potts, i'm like dang i really i really fucks with pepper pot you know what i'm saying like oh i really like her care i went i wanted to feel that way about jenny but i just could not man and it could have been that bad taste that she left in my mouth for giving jaime the damn scare it, it was the part for me when uh when jaime pulls up on her to pick her up and she's like running out of cord and she gets in the car and the guards start shooting and he's like you could have said that that they were going to start shooting at me and she doesn't she doesn't mention that at all so I, th there were a lot of questionable choices i think that you know superhero films in the genre has has long had challenges establishing believable nuanced romantic interests you know there there mm -hmm. are exceptions obviously pepper potts is one of them who grew to be one because the way that that's they true the way the, the way that they wrote her in iron man one was not necessarily great you know i think she became a great character mm -hmm. partly due to gwyneth paltrow and you know just the the the, the, the other performances that came later but it, it's one of those things that that's always tough you know because i think on one hand you want to really focus on the hero's journey and 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 any any sign of a romantic relationship coming in the middle of that kind of feels like the momentum of the movie gets thwarted and, and you kind of lose focus of like, well, this is a superhero movie. I want to see like superhero things. You know, that's a part of it. But then when you do have a character, you also want them to be somebody that you can buy into and support mm -hmm. and, and have a believable relationship with. And and it's a lot to juggle. And I think it is a, a it's a hard balance to strike. And I do I do think that there were more challenges here. I, I have to agree that, you know, the performance itself by Bruna was fine. She's actually quite an experienced actress but i don't know what was what was happening here something did feel off and it was probably mm -hmm. just the dialogue and the delivery wasn't the greatest and and then just like the natural chemistry between her and jaime it was fine it was cool and she had a couple of moments of like high emotion especially as it relates to like her father going missing and her not really knowing what happened to him like i see that they were trying to to, to provide her with the depth and the nuance that we would want out of a character like that it just didn't always hit the mark for me especially because she would just do a lot of really questionable stuff like all along the journey it's like yo you 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 got to settle down and like really think about your next steps here cuz you're kind of moving in a really mm -hmm. funny way that makes you feel untrustworthy even though we know you're not working on behalf of victoria but you could kind of question it like is she going to like betray them at some point like and and, and yeah. go back on the side of her family but they did not do that. But um, speaking of Victoria, let's talk about her. And also let's talk about Omac, the other villain here, Ignacio. We can kind of talk about them together. So on one hand, Susan Sarandon is 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 kind of playing the 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 overarching big bad of the movie. She she's more of the the mind and and really the force at play. But Ignacio, who becomes like Omac, this character in another sort of overpowered suit, he's the heavy. You know, he he he's like the the, the force of nature. He's the physical threat, I think, to Jaime that they present here. So they kind of work in tandem that way. And this is probably one of the bigger challenges of the film in, in terms of the execution. I mean. Susan Sarandon, very, very celebrated actress, Academy Award winner um, coming in here. And and it just I don't know, just doesn't feel like it adds up in, in, in a meaningful way. I don't know what really happened here. 
like I said at the top, it, it kind of feels like she's in a completely different movie entirely. Maybe they told her it was one thing and she went for that and, and it and it turned out to be something else. But <laughs> Danny, how did you feel about just like the, the 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 villains in this movie and just like the way that they presented themselves and just kind of the the the, the ever present threat that they presented all throughout the course of the movie? Before I get to that, I want to say uh, with with uh, Jenny, I, well, I didn't like a lot of things about her character. Something I did like was, well, a lot we do get the same dumb formula where you always have the origin story and the relationship. There's always a relationship that just happens to come at the same exact time that this person gets superpowers and whatever. It's dumb, but on the bright side, I there wasn't much like relationshipness throughout the movie until like the very very end scene so i mm. did kind of like that uh although I, I hate this formula i did like what um what was it shang chi did like i totally expected there to be a relationship there between between him and and the the main uh actress that was with him but like it never happened and mm. they were just friends i'm like why can't more movies do this or at least prolong it, it, if you're not going to like keep this friendship you can at least prolong it until the next it always it's the origin movie and the first movie it's always the same time like i don't know it's kind of repetitive i hate it but whatever um as far as the the villains i think this is actually the weakest point in the movie uh there was just i've said this multiple times on our podcast is to me a strong villain is like a strong movie like if you got a strong villain it just like almost always you're gonna have a strong movie regardless of how everything else turns out and there was just it was just weak it was it was weak it's it was oversaturated it's like you have this her acting i i don't even think it was it was that good i think it was probably the way she's written because she she is a very you know celebrated actress but her acting i don't think was that good it was just like we've kind of seen this before although i did like how it kind of i guess per se brings to light on an issue that is that does happen in this world is you know you have the rich uh white person that you know tries to go do this to to minorities and whatever is just like only self-focused on what this person once and not thinking about other people so it's like i did kind of like that but i do think that the way it was delivered was just really really weak and the side the omac character that she had with her um honestly i didn't really like it until kind of the end whenever he uh hyman unlocked his memories and it, mm-hmm. it was kind of like this cool backstory that i really would have liked way earlier in the movie personally yeah, like an hour and a half before yeah, if we like, learned yes. something about it. i would have liked this character a lot better had you given me that that flashback an hour and a half before the like into the movie oh, in the beginning of the movie so i hated where that sequence was but i did like that flashback sequence and j- that was basically the only strong point of the of the villains yeah, we, we, we needed that earlier, I think. I think it, it felt like a decision that was shoehorned in to give him 
more pathos as as a character they 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 alluded to it you you see victoria saying like you know i've done so much for you you, you were in mm-hmm. so much pain but i think that they they could have like shortly thereafter shown that flashback to at least like provide some more motivation to him one thing i will say about victoria as a character it, it might be bad to say this but i did like it it's it's the one thing i liked about her her casual racism like the fact that she just kept calling that scientist sanchez like out of nowhere thought that was kind of yes. hilarious but <laughs> yes it, it, it also reinforces like what what you both have been saying is that this is a super privileged white woman who doesn't give a fuck about anybody else or anything else she's only concerned with herself and her wealth and her company and whoever she has to trample over you know to to, to achieve that and to maintain it she'll do so even her own family at the expense of jenny um but des did you have any other thoughts about you know victoria as a character or even ignacio and how he ultimately became somebody that had a had a little bit more depth to him by the end of it yeah, I think um again, Victoria, man. Woo. Susan Sarandon is too good of an actress to whatever happened in this. I just don't know what happened because I can't say it's not her acting either. Like I can't it is part dialogue, don't get me wrong. It is the way she's written. But like you said, it's like they told her one thing and she was in something else. Even again, before all of this is happening, when they're at the what is it, the big club country clubhouse thing and they're mm. cleaning scraping gum off even that whole 10 15 minute sequence was part of the reason this movie felt like a nickelodeon cw production to me one again the way it was directed in some of these moments it's like the camera quality went down a little bit and then susan sarandon comes on screen and starts saying like the most generic lines you've ever heard in your life and i was like what am i watching right now and again it would switch over to something would happen and there'll be like it's action sequence you'd be like oh that was decent where has this been i don't it was so weird man but she's part of the reason of like the tonal shifts in this movie for me the way every time she's on screen feel like something different is when she wasn't it was really crazy um so man yeah I, I really don't know what that disconnect was there man but it was it was very prevalent um it was also funny when you brought up the like i'm not sanchez thing because he ended up having like the most hispanic name of all time which i thought was so, <laughs> it was so funny i was like just do said like six perfectly hispanic names i was like yeah this is this is way too funny um but yeah, this is, is I wish they harped on that more, maybe as a character, like sometimes not necessarily go all the way in. Right. Like, oh, she's very clearly the most racist person we've ever seen. But maybe lean into that a little bit. She is a literal corporate top of the food chain white woman who probably has a lot more of those microaggressions, if not macroaggressions in her. You know what I'm saying? So uh, part of me was like, dang, use that for her character a little bit more. Um and then we come to uh, Ignacio Carp. Car- How do you say his name? Carpex? Carpox? I don't know. You come to Ignacio, and he's just—he was a shell until the end of the movie. Literally a walking shell. He—he—he he, he also felt like uh, what you call it? Iron Man Two. Who am I thinking about? Um, uh, oh, my bird. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, Whiplash. Was it Whiplash? Whiplash. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He literally had a whip. <laughs> <laughs> but also the technology felt like the character who we were looking at, right? Who literally took technology from him. And then he had a whip. I was like, dang, I feel like we've seen this before in an Iron Man movie. But again, I think some of those scenes were fine. Like the CGI looked pretty good. And some, it didn't make any sense. Like, I don't know why the CGI looks good one second, but we can't, the pool house scene can't look good too. 
They you filmed that saying? when it was still an HBO Max <laughs> movie, probably. That that was probably pre-theatrical release, like the very first shit they shot. And midway through, they were like, oh, yeah, you know what? We're going to drop this in theaters. Okay, now we can give you more money. Now we can give you more. That's really what it felt like, though. Literally felt like, oh, TV movie. Uh-oh, fight scene is coming up. Now we're in the movie theater. Like, what? Because one thing we have been saying is... um we kind of have been reiterating is how bad CGI has been in some of these films, but this movie had some decent stuff that I was like, no, this looks a lot pretty really good. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was like, no, this looks pretty good. So it, I wish it was just more consistent in that way. And again, a lot of it had to do with these characters, their villains in particular, Victoria's on the screen probably doesn't look that great, but Ignacio's on the screen. You're like, shoot, we're in something right now. And it's, it's I think that's very interesting, but I wish they gave Ignacio more to do early in the film. They you can have like a uh, you can have like the she's the brain, he's the brawn kind of type thing. But it, it, the brawn can have a story, too. You know what I'm saying? The brawn can absolutely have a story and it will definitely add to what we're looking for by the end of the film. Because when he decides to blow up, maybe I would care more. Not me. I did. I I could have cared less than like. I'm surprised Blue Beetle cared that they blew up. You know what I'm saying? He, nobody cried about it. It was just like, oh, I guess that's the end of the film. There goes our villains. You know what I'm saying? We just did not have enough for us to care um, in those moments, man. So, yeah, it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. You know, it was just like, dang, the villains, we lost the villains again. It's it's just too bad. Um, yeah, by the way, Sanchez's uh, name, Dr. Jose Francisco Morales Rivera de la Cruz. And and, and he just blurted that out all at one moment. And, and what's even more funny, like right after that, he looks at Jaime through the glass and he's like, don't worry, I'll be OK. And then his guts splatter on the screen. <laughs> it was so dark. <laughs> it was, really, it was so really, dark, really gruesome. So I I, I enjoyed that. I, I like that he was able to get. I guess I guess it's come up in, to a certain extent, but um, yeah, you all said it pretty much. I, I I can't I can't really add on more to that. It was just not by design, just not a great villain in, injected into this movie. The one thing that I did like specifically about Ignacio when he became Omac, those fight sequences between him and Jaime, pretty good stuff. Like they looked pretty exactly. good. I think that they actually like had some some really really creative choreography. Visually, they were also distinctive because Omac was significantly bigger. This was like a swole super suit, and it was red. And Jaime was, of course, in the blue beetle suit. Um, so a good contrast there. But but the the, the motivation behind both of them, it just it just wasn't enough, you know. And that that that's really the weak point. It's almost like it's almost like they just didn't have enough time or real estate within the movie to to add more depth because so much of the focus is the family, you know, and I think mm-hmm. we saw, we saw some of somewhat of a similar issue with Miss Marvel because so much of that family mm. feels dynamic and there's like five or six people, a part of it on top of the titular character, how much, how much can really be left for the villain here? And and I think that that was a challenge that they probably tried to figure out multiple ways to overcome, but they, they couldn't quite crack that code. Uh, before we talk about mid credits, post credits here, uh, any, any, you know, sort of wrapping up thoughts about the final act in, in particular, as I said, this is also another sort of big critique that I had of the movie that that it was a it was a pretty long final sequence. Like when they go to rescue mm-hmm. Jaime from this this island, this prison, you know, I think it's in Cuba. It there There's a lot of beats here. We already talked about the, the the dream sequence with his father. But there's, of course, like the rescue in the cave. There's another fight between Omac and, and, and Blue Beetle. There's the stuff with Omac revealing his backstory. And then and then Jaime's family also is able to acquire this large mechanical beetle type of device to infiltrate the prison. So there, there's a whole sequence with that. The, the, there was a lot happening here. Dan, Danny, how did you feel about just like seeing all of this go down? Because I'll be I'll be the first to admit when I was watching it, I'm like, wow, we're, we're still 
we're still doing this. Like we're still going on and on and on. And they're adding more and more, you know, sort of different beats here. But how did you feel about it? Was this, was it successful for you or did it go on a little bit too long? So the third act definitely dragged and you, you, you could definitely feel it. You could feel the runtime in there and you're like, all right, like let's speed it up. This is, this is something we've seen before. It's kind of old. Um, I will say what you guys were talking to earlier uh, the, with the action scenes and we, we still got those in the, in the third act was how good they were. And they did say that a lot of the inspiration for their action scenes were uh, taken from Injustice 2 with the way uh, Blue Beetle would actually fight. Mm -hmm. And so I, I love how they took inspiration from previous uh, things with Blue Beetle, especially a video game. Like it's not often that we would see something like that. Um, but with with the final act, especially, but just throughout the film, I thought it felt a lot like like a Spy Kids movie, and it's not like oh, like yeah. a low budget like this Spy Kids film, and it's not something yes. I really enjoyed. It was like this feels too yes. much like Spy Kids. It was like yes. with the gadgets, and then I don't know. It was like with the beetle with the whole beetle thing. I was like, okay, this this is just getting weird uh, with the Spy Kids thing, and and but another thing was and going in this like technology realm was Sholo in the blue beetle seat blue beetle suit how he could imagine like any weapon he wants and stuff like that i wanted to see more with that like you can literally imagine whatever you want and i i feel like he was picking some basic basic weapons like okay you you uh, the sword thing was kind of cool but then you got blasters and then you have another variant of blasters and then I don't know. It was just like basic things that you could imagine. Like, come on, you can imagine cooler stuff than that. So mm -hmm. it's not something I, I didn't enjoy too much. But the, my biggest thing was that it just, the third act, especially, just felt a lot like Spy Kids. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I wonder if that was intentional. Um, the 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 references, you know, maybe some of the visual cues because I, I noticed a couple. I didn't pick up on the Spy Kids, but you know, both of you have said Spy Kids, Shark Boy, and Lava Girl. I'm wondering if 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 Angel, you know, wanted to maybe, you know, sort of pay homage to Robert Rodriguez, you know, maybe that style of filmmaking. There was mm -hmm. also like another visual reference earlier in the movie when Cord comes to attack the Reyes family home when Nana gets like a glass of tea. There's the ripple effect in the glass, very much like Jurassic Park, you know, so I think mm -hmm. that there might have been a couple of things. I wonder if it was intentional or not, but even if it is intentional, it doesn't necessarily equate to it being good because, you know, spy kids, you know, to a certain extent, like it, it gets really campy and over the top and kind of ridiculous. Yes. And that might not be <laughs> that might not be what you want to go for. But, um, you know, I, I do have to agree with with a lot of what you said there. Uh, Des, how did you feel about, you know, just sort of like the third act, that final battle sequence and just, you know, all of the different beats that they hit in that moment? Yeah, yeah. Uh... Again, some of it, or at least a good amount of it, looked good. Um, you know, for the most part, I do wish we get we did get a little more inventiveness on the side of just again showing us, you know, how, what high make I think can really do. Uh, uh, part of me feels like again, movies do this a lot where it always feels like they're holding on to something and so they can use it for later. Like, oh, high make can do this thing in the second movie instead of just being like no just like do something crazy now figure it out later <laughs> and I, I i think i was looking for something else a little crazy uh because uh, to, to to danny's point there is like a dang you all using blasters again <laughs> like we can't i don't know let's do something a little bit different you know than what these blasters have going on which is is why i did kind of like the sword the sword was like okay we we're doing something else here because we don't have a lot of superheroes right now who out here 
with these big ass swords, you know, kind of slicing through people. So I was looking for, I think, something else that was similar to that in that last act. And I didn't necessarily get that. You know, we did get more of those. We have to clean up a lot of the story up. Oh, let's turn Jaime into a superhero. Let's give uh, uh, Omac a backstory. Let's do all these things to where it's like we can't be as inventive uh, with some of the things that I feel like they wanted to be inventive with or they could have been inventive with in those moments because so much attention had to be given to some of those other things. So, again, the fight sequence, the fights, the last fight sequence in particular was fine, but a um, lot of story beats, like you said, was happening, man. I mean, the sister in, in the, the other chord got lost. Jenny got lost from each other. That was a whole thing. And then, I mean, again, you still have high made tied to the thing before he even goes in the dream sequence. He's still tied up and there's a lot going on there and they got to plug up Omac and woo, we were going through a ton. And then we still got Nana has to go off with her minigun. Like you said, Jaime still has to do his thing in the hallway and save the sister. And then where's Jenny? We don't know where Jenny is. Let's go back to the ship. Now we got to go back and get Jenny. It was just, oh my God, we were going through so much. Um, and, and yeah, I just wish they dialed some of that back. This really is a film that I think could have benefited just from being shorter, to be honest. So like, again, some of those early story beats, maybe use some of those early story beats in that first 20 minutes and use that for something else and cut back some of this other stuff. It was just some things that feel like it could be trimmed. And I wish they would have done that trimming. And a lot of it does come from that third act, man. It was just a ton going on. But that's what I've been saying. It's been feeling like Spy Kids, Shark Boy and Lava Girl. It was giving that a lot. They landed on this island with a be in a middle in a beetle. Killed all of these people. I do have a point. Part of this movie is literally Jaime telling, uh, I'm going to call her Khadijah just because that's like the blackest thing I can think of. I'm going to call her Khadijah. It's telling Khadijah that not to kill. And the family is killing everybody. Nana killed about, I uh, got like 10 bodies by herself. Rudy's over here getting bodies. They killing people with the scarab. And the, when they landed with the, I, I, Tonal. I don't know what that tone is. Like Jaime can't kill nobody, but the family can. Is that the is that the is that what we want to tell the kids? That your family can kill people, but to be a superhero, you can't kill anyone. I don't know. That was very confusing to me. But yes, uh man, that 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 third act, man. They 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 just need to clean it up. Um and yeah, that's really it. Yeah, I, I it almost felt like I don't know this for a fact, but in, in the Again, we, we can't ignore the fact that this was once a streaming only movie that became a theatrical movie. And so the budget, mm -hmm. of course, inflated and, and grew to being a one hundred million dollar plus movie. It almost felt like that they just like added on layers to this final battle to make it feel big and make it feel theatrical when it didn't necessarily need to, to have any of that. Because I imagine that the script probably in the initial phases didn't have any of that stuff just for budget considerations. But then they were like, oh, well, we have more resources, a little bit more time. Like, let's blow it out and do it, do it bigger where. That, that doesn't always equate to better, you know, because I think the Beatles stuff on the island, I actually really liked that. I thought that that was like going really well, but you needed to really tighten all of that stuff up because mm -hmm. it just went on and on and on and on. And I was like, wow, we have like so much going on here. And it, it's it's in it's in stark contrast compared to the first two acts, which I thought were paced considerably well. Like, I really like the pacing of the first two acts. It's really mm -hmm. it, it kind of becomes very unwieldy in the last 30 or so minutes of the movie where it just blows up and become like this big 
over the top spectacle with all these different moving pieces. And, and I think that the story was much more grounded or at least could have been, it could have been much more grounded than that. And, and, and actually emotionally worked out better for us. But um, let's talk about these post-credit scenes. I mean, the set, the second post-credit scene, it, it's really just kind of like a fun, a fun gag. El Chapulín is like this, this parody superhero series that they sort of call back to at the end. That was, something that was injected in the in the middle of the movie when they first go to court industries but the real one i suppose for the future of this character perhaps is the mid credit scene which basically sheds light on the fact that Ted Cord is still alive we hear a voice recording that alludes to the fact that he's not dead we, we everybody presumed that he was dead and of course his own daughter Jenny thought he's been dead this entire time but he is in fact alive we don't know where the voice is coming from we don't know who's voicing the voice in fact we just know that there's a voice saying Ted Cord is indeed alive uh, Danny, I'll start with you. Do you think that this actually goes anywhere? Do you think that they'll bring this into the future of the character, not necessarily knowing how Blue Beetle is going to factor into James Gunn's plans? I guess the character is going to continue, but I don't know if that necessarily means that by extension, all of these other story threads might pick up later on. But what what, what do you foresee in terms of what they might do with Tech Court in the future? Oof. I mean, anytime we're talking about future DC, it is it is uh, muddy waters. It's like, who who knows what's going to happen? We still don't even understand the whole reference of this is the first DC character, but not the first DC movie. That makes no sense to me, but whatever. <laughs> um, to me, <laughs> uh, as far as Ted Cord, I, I, granted, I think a lot of these movies, uh, they get, I guess, sequels based off the success of the first one. But Blue Beetle is in this weird thing where it's like, I feel like it's we're going in this whole new direction with James Gunn where it's like, does the success of Blue Beetle even matter? Does mm. it bombing, does it still, does, does James Gunn still keep Blue Beetle? Like, who knows? There's so much layers to this muddy water thing, but I like how they did put it in there uh, because... You don't know what's going to happen and you might as well put it in there because they could do something with it. And uh, a lot of these movies, I know they did this a lot back with Marvel back in the day. Um, they would just throw little things in there, not even a post credit scene, but things throughout the movie where they're like, hey, I'm not directing like the next Avengers movie or the next sequel. I might not even direct the next sequel with this. Who knows? But it's like I'm putting it in there just in case they can do what if they don't want to do with it. They don't have to, but um, it's there just to be there. So it's like, I, I like that people do that because it leaves an open door. And for DC to have Ted Cord, who was like maybe the OG Blue Beetle, maybe not, but it's like there is, there could be this big backstory with that uh, that could play a big factor in, in uh, a second Blue Beetle or I guess this reimagined first Blue Beetle of whatever it is, but it's like they could do something with it. And it did kind of make me think of Ant-Man with like the the mom. literally just thinking that, uh, Janet Van Dyme, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's like being in this realm who we thought she was dead and now she's not dead. I was like, this kind of gives me Ant-Man vibes. So I don't know how I felt about that, but yeah. Yeah, li literally a, a like one for one similar beat where it's like oh janet's been alive this entire time now we have to go find her that becomes the premise of like the next movie um that's how did you feel about this did this, did this post credit scene do anything for you does it get you excited about a tech cord possibly being a part of any future plans with the character what, what's your outlook on that mm, i don't know about tech core specifically but maybe 
there's just so many other Easter eggs in there that feel like that's something that James Gunn could play with if play with if he really wanted to. James Gunn has talked about Booster Gold. We know Booster Gold and Blue Beetle go way back. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There could be something there. The smallest Easter egg was in uh, uh, Ted Cord's little lab. There were some damn Oreos in there, which Martian Manhunter loves Oreos. I don't know what that's about, but uh, it. I, who knows? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> they could be on an adventure together somewhere. So again, uh, again, not Ted Cord specifically. I really, to be honest, don't care about Ted Cord. Like I am a, I'm for sure a Jaime Reyes guy. You know what I'm saying? Like that's the Blue Beetle I know and I, and I am accustomed to. Um, so I again, who knows? I don't. Mate, the thing that what I will say, James Gunn is so goddamn good at making you care about characters you know you don't really feel like caring about, and then. A movie happens or a TV show happens, you're like, dang, I like this person. So I'm not going to throw it out the window until there's some more explanation to whatever the hell this movie is uh, <laughs> and what it's supposed to be and where these characters are going. But I will say there's some potential there just because of the way, again, James Gunn operates. I think it's all about communication and how a lot of this uh, comes out in the end. But for right now, I just don't care that much. So we'll have to see. Uh, this is by no fault of their own, but to be honest, Marvel and the MCU with Phase 4 has just gotten me so sick of character introductions and post-credit scenes and, and what that might mean for the future because we have gotten introduced to so many characters in those projects and we have no idea when they're going to come back. Literally no clue. What, Clea, when, when are you coming back? Hercules? Don't know. Arrows from Eternals? Harry Styles? Is he ever going to be in a movie again in the MCU? Probably not. He's a really busy guy, so... This is kind of a, of a similar vein. I mean, even over in the Shazam movies, like Mr. Mind was teased in the first movie and then mm -hmm. teased again in the second movie. And it's like, you yep. we'll probably never see that character. So I don't know. I, it might never equate to anything, honestly. But having an open door is a good is a good way to, you know, possibly set up something that can come in the future because you can always lean back and rely on that. But I think it, it, it really just depends on how it manifests in the future. Mm -hmm. But. That pretty much brings us to the end of the movie. Um, I, I I will ask you both rankings. I know that this is like again we we keep saying this like DCU DCEU. I mean what whatever this in we don't know what any of this means. But I, I do want to ask you where this would rank in in the DC films that we've gotten for the for the DCEU. Let's let's just stick there because we don't have the the proper James Gunn DCU yet. But compared to other movies like Wonder Woman, Shazam, Black Adam. Where would this rank for you? And also, you know, any final thoughts, any summation points that you want to make about Blue Beetle? Um, Des, let's start with you. How did you feel about the movie as a whole wrapping up and where would you rank it against the other films that they put out? Yeah, I think this this movie uh, has a decent amount going forward. It's so interesting because it's like the most bittersweet movie <laughs> I've watched in a while. It's like, oh, that's a good idea. Oh, that's not such a good idea over and over. It's like the entire movie for me. And, and, and it's very interesting what it does. One of my favorite things about this movie, again, is, is Solo uh, Mardwenia, man, who is just, I think, really good in this role and really good in this movie. If anything, in my mind, I'm like, James Gunn, Loki just might keep him just because he's good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and now what happens is once you're introduced to a character and it's the first iteration of that character that you've seen and they're good, it's like, well, now I can't see anybody else, especially if they're coming soon in the game. So now I feel like they have to keep him. But he is absolutely and for sure one of the things uh, um, coming out of this film. Not only that, but again, one of the the, the first uh, uh, Latin 
characters to get the title of a superhero film man is is huge and it should be a bigger deal than what it is but unfortunately the guys of dc and everything they have on going right going on right now has made this film fall by the wayside not only that the the similar dna to other films again it, it, it unfortunately a lot of that is all too familiar they do some different things in this film to try to levy that a little bit with the family dynamic with again how latin the movie feels this movie is very very Mexican feeling. You can feel you can feel it in the way in the, the way their housing looks, their their religion, the way they talk to each other. There's a decent amount of Spanish in this movie. There's a lot of those things that I really like about this film. We talked about the CGI, which a lot of these films we've been watching lately. We we talking shit <laughs> on the CGI, but I was like, dang, a lot of CGI in this movie looks good. On the flip side, a lot of the stuff that's not CGI or that are out of the guise of some superhero film don't look that good to me. And it's really weird. And the villains aren't that good in this film. And it's awkwardly paced. And some of the tone isn't all the way there in this movie. Again, it's a very bittersweet movie for me. And I think uh, uh, bittersweet to, to me is even a good way to explain about where it fits in all of this as well. It's like, oh, it was time for a movie like Blue Beetle. And on the other end, it was definitely not time for a movie like Blue Beetle because of everything Warner Brothers has going on to make this all so crazy. So Bittersweet, again, is the best way I can explain this film. So many good things going forward, but so many things going against it as well. Where it fits for me, um, amongst the DCEU films, it's really weird because I feel like the most recent releases we've gotten kind of all in like the same playing field for me where like i like a lot about them and there's other things i don't like about them so like flash shazam fury of the gods and blue beetle all like exist on like the similar plane where they all have like something going forward and something not going forward all at the same time but right now just for right now because everything changes upon rewatch i have it um at my 10th spot uh, and, and and that being said, the Flash is eight right now. Shazam: Fear of the Gods is nine, and Blue Beetle is at my tenth spot. And that, that right now, that's kind of uh, uh, where it fits, and and that's how I feel. So we'll see what happens. Danny, final thoughts on the movie, and uh, where would you rank it in the DCEU? Uh, I got a couple thoughts on this film. Ultimately, if if we take a side, which I guess is hard to do, but it's like if we take a side of the similar DNAs and stuff, obviously it's still gonna have its issues, but like that's always like a common theme whenever we were watching you know watching this film it's like oh well they copied that from this and they copied that from that it's like if we just look at it as its own movie and not thinking about other films i i do think it does very well it, like yeah it has its issues but like i still think it's a very solid film and my favorite thing about it is that it's quite honestly unapologetically hispanic and it's like you like they have like des has said um a lot of Spanish speaking in the film and then you just have the subtitles. I love that. And they have all these little jokes and references and and the the animated character, the superhero character from from their, you know, uh race. It's like so many different things that it's unapologetically Hispanic and especially Mexicans that it it's kind of beautiful to see of the diversity. We we got this with Black Panther. We've seen this with with uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. It's like all these different things that it's like you love to see that there are other cultures out there. There are other elements to this world that's like so grand, but a lot of times you get the same, you know, white person and no family and blah, 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 blah. But it's like, you got something different in that. And I thought I very much enjoyed that. To another point, I thought Sholo did very good in this role. I, I thought he was a very good actor. However, I will say I 
think he has a very what's the word I don't think his range is all that all that large. I think he does well in a certain range. We see that mm-hmm. with Cobra Kai. We've seen that here. Like he has a, a, a limited range. So I wouldn't put him in like these other roles. Like a lot of times we see a, a titular character in in a superhero universe, and now we want to put him in everywhere. We like uh we've gotten that with Tom Holland, we've gotten that with you know all the the big trio in Avengers and basically any other Avenger, but it's like, you want to just put them everywhere because now they're like this face and so popular, but I, I really wouldn't do that with Sholo because I, I think his range is specific to certain genres, certain films, certain shows. Um, I, so that's just something I wanted to know overall. I do think it does better than certain DC films. Uh, the second wonder woman to me, probably the worst dc film of all uh the flash honestly i know there is a lot of mixed reviews about it some people loved it some people felt okay some people hated it i am like on the okay to hated it side i very much didn't enjoy it i just the cgi bothered me there was just so many things that bothered me about the movie that some other people liked but i hated it so i have this higher than flash uh as far as i had this higher than the first shazam personally i like the second shazam more than the first one uh, but I have this higher than the first Shazam. The second Shazam, I don't know. I think I had this higher than that just because of me being a, a Latin person. I, I, I laugh more at the jokes than other people would because, you know, some people just wouldn't understand it as much as we would because it's like, oh, that's literally my grandma and that's my mom. Like she would totally say that. So something like that. It's like, so to me, I have more... Uh, connection with this film than i would with other films black adam personally i think that one struggled a lot so uh, i have this kind of like middle of the pack obviously there's like the big movies the first wonder woman batman versus superman man of steel like there's those big films but um as far as far as the ones that are not like the big trio the holy trinity of dc uh i i do think it's it's quite up there although the villain very very much I am a huge, passionate person for good villains. I, I harp on it on our podcast all the time. So villains sucked, but it is what it is. Absolutely. So Blue Beetle, I think, is the perfect example of a movie that is perfectly suitable and perfectly fine. However, it came just too late. If this movie had come out six years ago, seven years ago, I think it would have been a lot more successful than what we're seeing right now. And it's really unfortunate because I do think that to to a certain degree, DC and Warner Brothers kind of have abandoned this movie. It doesn't feel like that they put everything behind it that they could have that maybe some of other their, their other films have gotten. And, and, and a lot of that is due to the strike. You can't do certain things. Obviously, they are restricted by by by, you know, a large proximity compared to their marketing rollouts. But I, I think that it, it's a shame that we're seeing so much of these so many of these films in the superhero genre as of late focus on these diverse characters and other ethnic backgrounds, whatever the case may be. When we should have been getting this stuff, you know, maybe a decade ago, it's kind of unfortunate that we are just now getting that. But that being said, I do still appreciate and enjoy the fact that we are getting it. And the fact that so much of the Latino culture and heritage is imbued all throughout the DNA of this movie, all of the references, all of the jokes, all of the inside stuff that you really have to be a part of that culture or at least have a close proximity to it to really understand it. I think that that stuff only strengthens the movie because it helps it keep it grounded and authentic and you can create real tangible and meaningful connections 
with your audience that way. And I do hope that more people discover it. I, I, I hope and, and, and maybe anticipate that this is going to be a movie that can grow over its lifetime, you know, just because the theatrical run might not be the most successful. It might not set the world on fire. That doesn't mean that it still can't be successful. Maybe it's a slow burn, maybe on HBO Max, eventually when it lands there, it can find a new audience. I'm very optimistic about that because it is a good enough film, I think, to really bring people in and draw them in. The performances, by and large, I, I mostly enjoy with the exception of the villains, as we already noted. Some of those storylines just don't really add up. But when you focus on the family of this movie, when when that comes down to being the core element of why we're here for this experience, I think that that stuff mostly succeeds. And I really, really enjoyed what everybody brought to the table. I loved how different all of the family members are compared to each other and how they ultimately impacted Jaime's journey in, into, into him becoming the hero for Palmyra City and just what they what they represented and meant for him. And so ultimately, it's a pretty fine movie. Yes, it is a bit derivative of other things that we've seen. Yes, it comes in an era where many of the superhero films and TV shows that we're getting often feel mediocre or just not up to par. And so it's not necessarily doing anything new. It's not reinventing the wheel, but it's still serviceable and I think satisfiable enough to where it's something I would watch again. It's something that I would revisit down the line and would want to say like, oh, yeah, I can tap back into Blue Beetle. And hopefully the character in and of itself can have a future in James Gunn's DC universe, whatever that looks like. We don't know if that's going to be a sequel or maybe a team-up film or some sort of spinoff. We'll have to wait and see, but I think that there is more that you can revisit with the Blue Beetle character, and so I'm hopeful that he'll come back in some capacity. As far as my ranking, it's similar to what you both have said. It's kind of middle of the pack, so you know there have been, I don't know what, 15, 16 movies at this point. It's right in the middle there, so it's, it's, it's in my, I think, 10th spot as well, so it's right after Shazam! Fury of the Gods. I enjoyed that movie just a little bit more, mm-hmm. but Blue Beetle is is it's still fine, and I think it's it's definitely not their worst by any stretch of the imagination. They have certainly put out films that um that we 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 just typically don't tend to speak about, and so it's right now in the middle of the pack for me. But again, you know, we'll see what the future holds for the character of Blue Beetle and Jaime Reyes in the DC universe, but. Folks, with all of that out the way, those are all of our thoughts on DC's brand new feature film, Blue Beetle. If you've checked out this movie, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. And before we wrap up here, I just want to send another special thank you to our special guest today, Danny. We appreciate you so much for joining us today to talk about DC's Blue Beetle. Everything you said, just a a major contributor to the podcast space and to the game. Of course, wanted to repay that favor for for you having us on for a couple of months ago for Spider-Verse. And hopefully we can do this again soon and we we can link back up and talk about more stuff. But before we wrap up here, can you just, uh, you know, sort of remind the people where they can find Unqualified Heroes? Yeah, absolutely. You guys can find us, me and my co-host who's not here, Adam, Adam Qualified Heroes. Once again, we're on X, Spotify, Apple podcast youtube wherever you want to go um we typically release weekly to buy the weekly episodes just about movies pop culture whatever's kind of going on in the world uh in that genre uh, and i do want to extend my thank you again for just having us on i very much appreciate it uh just talking to other nerds like me because i get tired of talking to my co-host now that's a joke but uh just seeing other people that's like out there that that have like-minded uh opinions and even just like different stuff that i've never even thought about some of the things you guys said today and even on the spider-verse podcast and just other podcasts that you guys have that i'd be listening to um it's like just opinions i'm like oh i never really thought about that about this movie or about this topic so i very much enjoy that and um yeah i just very very appreciative for having having me on 
Absolutely. Well, thank you again. We'll do this again for sure sometime soon and, and link back up and talk about more nerd stuff, of course. But, folks, with all of that said, that's all we have for this episode of Two Black Nerds. Again, thank you to Danny and Unqualified Heroes. Go check out all of their stuff. And also go check out our other podcasts as well. We just recently released an interview with Carl Jones last week. Go check that out and all of our other podcasts that we've dropped recently, all the latest movie reviews. And so we will be back soon enough to talk about the latest and greatest in pop culture and entertainment. But until then, we will see y'all next time. Yes, sir. We are Audi 5000. Please check out our Two Black Jedi and Two Black Sith collection at twoblacknerds.com. And remember, always bet on black. Appreciate y'all. Love y'all. Thank you for listening to another episode of Two Black Nerds, where we're too black, too nerdy. And we out, y'all. Peace. Tengo 10 dracos, tenemos 13 rimas soldados pa' todo esto.